that's honestly that's really heroic and that from that point on i was like wow i think this movie might be good actually <laughs> not 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 in whole don't quote me on that the movie overall is very <laughs> bad the cold open for this one- podcast just raves no! red welcome to the sarcastic production jupiter ascending is good actually <laughs> don't <laughs> God, this is the I think Coolsville sucks of this show, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by Red from Overly Sarcastic Productions. Red, say hi. Hello! And as always, Red has picked a, a wonderful yes. viewing experience of her choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah, I did. Why, Red, I really I really only have one question for you, and it's why, but more specifically, why <laughs> why did we watch Jupiter Ascending? Right. Jupiter Ascending is a fascinating movie to me because when I heard it described to me, People were like, it's bad. It's about this like, uh, this like reincarnated space queen and this like half albino dog man who like rescues her from shit. And it's all this like sci-fi schmaltz. And I was like, that sounds amazing. You just don't have any taste. What's wrong with you? So I, I sat down to watch it and I was like, hmm, somehow it's everything they described it would be and bad. <laughs> I wonder why that is. And I, it, it kind of baffles me. It's like, on paper, it sounds so exciting. Mm-hmm. And somehow, only like 15 minutes of the movie really feel like the description when you write it down uh, or explain it. And it was a little difficult for me to nail why. I think a lot of it is that the dialogue feels very kind of like flat and utilitarian and just sort of like mm-hmm. overlaid. Like the visuals are very exciting and the acting's not even half bad a lot of the time. A lot of the time, some of the some time. fascinating like, Eddie Redmayne line deliveries later oh, on. Oh <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Uh, I've I've heard some cool behind the scenes or like some some cut plot points about why he talks like that, but they didn't put them in the movie, so he just sounds like a total weirdo. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it it's just it fascinates me. It's not my favorite movie, uh, but it's definitely the one where I need the most second opinions on it because I still can't quite figure out. Why it's like that? <laughs> well, you've come to the right place for second opinions because by yes. uh, con- concept of this show, we have to talk about this movie. So I <laughs> guess let's just jump into it. Good. <laughs> we, o- <laughs> we open on some uh, monologue that's not quite exposition, but is sort of functioning as backstory where our uh, main lady character, as of yet unintroduced, gives the meet cute of her parents and also says a few lines that I put in quotes as opposed to actually writing down what was happening during the monologue. Uh, Technically speaking, I'm an alien. Tonight, the sky is completely full of miracles, miracles in this case being (laughs) stars, and her dad's Uh name is Maximilian Jones, which feels like he got 50% of the way into writing an interesting character name and then gave up in the second half. Yeah, well, they needed to give her the alliteration, like every good YA heroine. We meet Jupiter's parents. Her mom is Russian. Her dad is English. And they are look like they're happy and in love. Her dad's super into the stars and very specifically the planet Jupiter. Uh, but oh, yeah. while, <laughs> while her mom is pregnant and they're having like a cute little moment at home and they're gassing up Jupiter as the most important planet, which felt like a weird pla- thing to single up. out. But, you know. Because it's a gas giant. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> Sick pun, broski. All right. Yes, Jupiter, the coolest planet ever. Everything's great. Nothing could possibly go wrong. This dad's definitely not too good and too pure for this sinful world. Oh, don't get too attached because some Russian guys break in, ask the mom where money is, which is never going to be plot relevant again, and then steal a bunch of stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, one of the things they try to steal is this very fancy little, like, gold telescope. Mm -hmm. Her dad is like, no, not the telescope, and then gets shot and insta-dies. Insta dies. She doesn't even call 911. She's nope. like, stay with me, Maximilian. And it's like, lady, what are you doing? You're in your house. You know where the phone is. Is it 911 in Russia? I don't know, but like, she would know she's Russian. <laughs> I guess. I guess. You know. Yeah. Jupiter's mom then goes uh, across the Atlantic to the US and also gives birth in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, which is why Jupiter has issues about not having a home, even though she will be mm. pictured in her home throughout the rest of the movie. With her massive, kind of loving, but a bit brusque family. Yeah. Oh, she's so alone. So alone. Uh, She tells us that she's a Leo. So at first I was like, oh, no, here we go. We got an astrology bitch right out the (laughs) gate. But then she says she hates astrology to offset any of those fears, just in case the audience Mm -hmm. was at all genre savvy. Uh, (laughs) Her aunt tells her that she's destined for greatness and love because of her astrology and whatever. But Jupiter, who now works as a cleaner, thinks that this is all, you know, just kind of total bullshit. We get a lot of dramatic footage of the planet Jupiter, choral music rises up, and some titles with a wildly different tone from the way the rest of the movie has been conducted so far pop up to tell us that we are watching a movie called Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. Lots of gold script. I wonder if it's a metaphor. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Very ostentatious and shiny gold script when up to this point it's all been kind of like brutalist, Mm -hmm. dark-toned, uh... Every, everything's kind of grimy and everyone's miserable. And then it's like, just kidding. This is a space opera. So this movie has a production team that on paper I should love because it's the Wachowskis are directing and it was, you know, like developed and written by them as well. And then the composer is my boy, Mikey G, Michael Giacchino. And that is the exact team that did one of my all time favorite movies, which was the live action Speed Racer movie. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they've got a very distinct visual style and direct. Yep. Well, they've got a very distinct directorial style, but the visual style varies wildly from movie to movie. Right. Like, I think everyone everyone knows the Wachowskis from The Matrix, which mm-hmm. is like, which is kind of the first like opening part of this movie's vibe as well. To a little less yeah. grimy and dark, but generally just, just it's that similar uh, style of sci-fi. And then these titles pop up, yeah. and all of a sudden we're watching Speed Racer. It's basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's it goes a from movie full that monochrome. Is, fighting with itself constantly for dominance over which style it wants to commit to. Well, I I don't want to derail before we describe anything about the plot, but (laughs) there is a degree to which I described this movie as um, urban sci-fi. It has the exact vibe of every YA urban fantasy, Mm -hmm. like our heroine's just an average every girl when she's like, oh, she gets sucked into a world of magic and intrigue because she's a chosen one and there's a sexy vampire boy or something and all that jazz, except it's urban sci-fi. The mm-hmm. fantastical hidden other world is space yes. and aliens and shit, uh, which is, you know, not a bad idea. That's a cool idea. So many things in this movie are <laughs> cool ideas. This movie has a really interesting development history too to continue to derail before we get into the actual plot of the movie, but uh, it's conceived of and it was developed as the start to a space opera franchise. New intellectual property that the studio could kind of milk for future films. And as we now know in 2021, there was never a sequel made to this movie. And I think that's very evident if you watch it, but there's so many things that they are seeding in to try and build out a world in this movie that on paper must be 
cool, if you told me story beats in this movie or you told me um, certain world building elements in this movie and I didn't see it, I would be like, that could potentially be really interesting. But uh-huh, in the uh-huh. context of stuffing it all into two hours of screen time, it, it just becomes this overwhelming mess of ideas that don't really take any sort of concrete shape or draw you in in an engaging way because it's just too much information that is not being clearly communicated or is being communicated all at once and therefore is being fuzzing the radar for lack of a better word if you watch this movie subtitled so many random words are capitalized because they're plot points Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like oh yes he was in the legionnaires a skyjacker (laughs) and uh, oh it's part of the hive and it's just like what is Huh? <laughs> Six or seven factions that are only name dropped and never appear on screen. And I have to assume that they were seeded for future movies, but I kind of yeah. wish they just scratched those lines and stuck with the two players who are relevant instead. But speaking of relevant, we should probably jump into those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look <laughs> at those players. Uh, so we pan over some very futuristic and strangely saturated streets with blue sand, and a woman in very fancy garb is walking around asking about what the planet was called. Uh, talking to another very fancy man about the harvest, which, just on context clues alone, probably not great. <laughs> also capitalized. Oh. And, uh, we, we we neglected to mention that the lady is wearing very unconvincing old people makeup. Oh, she yes. looks like a 20-something with, like, crow's feet makeup and, like, a couple random liver spots. Yes, well, she is also played by Tuppence Middleton, who is a Wachowski's reoccurring favorite and character actress who is very, very talented and very, very pretty and uh, was not that old in 2015. So (laughs) they did their best. But it's sort of the um, we had this issue with another movie we watched in the podcast recently, Star Trek from uh, the live action Star Trek from like 2009, where they have Winona Ryder and some uh, very unconvincing old lady makeup and a headscarf to just be like, she's old, I swear. She's old. (laughs) She's like a babushka. Look at her. (laughs) This is uh, the age up makeup that I think every costume department and every HMU artist has struggled yeah, with throughout all of do. This is what you do if you're in like a high school production and you mm-hmm. need somebody to play like the Capulets and you're like, well, the oldest of these people is 17, so... Yes. Uh, <laughs> Except this has yeah. a much larger budget than your average high school much production. Much larger budget. Yeah. I think it would have been better if they cast the old versions, uh, spoiler alert, uh, with like different <laughs> actors. I was like, how much cooler would this have been if this was like Dame Judi Dench and oh then she... Oh my God, yes. Yeah. Like, and then she, oh, wow, look at this. It's it's Tuppence Middleton. Whoa. I don't know. I just think that would have been more impactful. Uh, probably strain the budget a little bit, though. <laughs> have to lose a few lens flares, shave them off. Oh, but wouldn't it have been worth it? Well, no. Oh, so worth it. <laughs> we also meet Eddie Redmayne. He's in this movie. And no matter how hard and he tries to be. And in old people makeup. <laughs> and in old people makeup. And no matter how hard he tries, he cannot be imposing because he always looks like Eddie Redmayne. He's doing this, yeah. like, raspy's voice and it's this creepy like, super, whisper creepy whisper it's in like the super this. low it's, it's like um harry did you put your name <laughs> it's, oh no no it's that remember not, he yelled that shit <laughs> right it's more like i can touch you now so you know yeah it, it's that shit uh uh the thing is i was informed by uh by i think twitter when i live tweeted this movie a while mm-hmm. back uh that in like the extra lore, because God knows this movie needed extra lore, uh, it, it's explained that Eddie Redmayne's uh, character, well, his, his like throat had been ripped out in a noted incident with another character that's discussed later in the Wait, movie. Like he's, this, yeah, yeah. It's supposed <laughs> to be that he's leave? the nobleman. 
I don't know. It sounds really important and like deepens both character arcs significantly by adding this personal element. But instead they were just like, no, he's just going to talk like a weirdo all movie, except when he shouts. Because he shouts too. Sometimes yes. he shouts. Sometimes he so shouts. So that was fun. Oh, my um, waveform looks crazy right now. <laughs> it's on me. Yeah. Sorry. We'll, we'll expound upon that more when we, when we meet that character in question because yeah, I am we'll fascinated there. by the exclusion of this plot point. Uh, I know. It's <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. So Eddie's doing this whole whisper thing the whole time. And in order to make his audio intelligible to us, the audience, you can hear how much they had to push his gain up because his voice is like just a little too crunchy for a human to be producing Mm. it. And it's especially prevalent when he's talking next to his two siblings, who is the fancy lady and fancy man we meet in this scene. They're chatting about how they have to, you know, do what they must for their house to thrive. Apparently, Eddie is the successful one who we later learned. His name is Balam, Balan, 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 yeah. yeah. I I think it's Balam. They pronounce it like that. Yes. Uh, Space names. Yeah. Uh, Space names. (laughs) And the younger guy, Titan, um, as well as... I think it's... Wasn't it like Titus or something? Titus? I think... Aren't they like the moons of Jupiter? I don't think Balam is a moon of Jupiter, and I don't think Kalik is either. Uh, huh. But I don't actually know all the moons of Jupiter, so uh, it's possible, but I, I don't think that's it. Uh, I thought his name was Titus. I think if it were Titan, I would have remembered that, because that would be cool. Um, you know what? You are right. I have uh, spell-checked uh-huh. my notes, I think. Ah, that would be a problem. No, they do not yeah. appear to be moons of Jupiter, which is, that would be the easy solution to naming them, would it not? There's some really solid well, names in this list. <laughs> Yeah, but the problem is most of the moons of Jupiter are named after Zeus's mythical lovers, so naming these people after them is like, you gotta name one of these dudes Ganymede, and that's awkward, and <laughs> it's, you know, it, it accidentally adds a lot of mythical stuff that I don't think they wanted to do. Um, hmm. That's fair. It would have been cool and easy, but no, we got Balem, Kalik, and Titus Andronicus, or whatever the hell his name is. Yep, and they're all sort of squabbling over who gets Earth. Right now, Balam has control of that estate, and Titus and uh, Kalik are both kind of trying to get their hands on it as well. So we know that they are these three space people who are interested in Earth, and they use the word harvest, so we can assume that they are not friendly, but don't brawl. I... I also, I'm sorry, I feel like we need to highlight that the blocking in this scene is completely static. They are standing yep. in a circle <laughs> while the camera spins around them while they take turns saying just flat expository lines about like, ah, the earth is doing quite well, isn't it, brother? Almost time for the harvest. Oh, you silly boy. Surely you know that the earth is worth more than all your estates combined. Why, yes, sister, as you know. And it's just a... Uh, The dialogue is so utilitarian in this movie. It's just there to tell you plot stuff because there's so much plot stuff. God, it's it's never ending. And they're in these very cool environments as well. So you'd think they could at least structure the shot so that if we're going to have to listen to them talk, at least we could do it in a slightly wider shot than we're getting so we could admire some of the pretty backgrounds you spent so much of the budget creating. But no. Yeah. It looks pretty. The costuming minus the makeup and like the backgrounds are so pretty. And it's, I don't know, everything about this movie is so weird. It's a complete disconnect of style and substance, and it's an absolute train wreck because of it. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, back on Earth, Jupiter wakes up at exactly 4.45 a.m., which will be a reoccurring image throughout the movie. Along with her aunt and mother, she says that she hates her life, and the gang gets to cleaning, and they sort of rinse and repeat, cleaning up very fancy homes, waking up super early, and doing all sorts of down-on-their-luck stuff. Uh, in a montage, 
which was yep. probably the best edited sequence in the entire movie because it's all downhill yep. from here. The the Jupiter's Life mon- uh, Sucks montage framed by her waking up and saying, I hate my life, really is the peak of cinema in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we get a little hint to oh, Jupiter's fine. personality. She's kind of like holding up fine dresses and jewelry to herself as she cleans. So we get this inclination that she longs for something more than that which she has. She's not satisfied with her lot in life. Mm. Is as- a heroine unsatisfied <laughs> with her lot in life. Groundbreaking. <laughs> shocking after we see this we got to watch some spooky man walk down an alley as a purple-haired woman perches on top of the building and whistles and like a bunch of people dressed in techno stuff sort of talk about how the shadowy figure is uh a guy a guy a cool guy (laughs) a super cool protagonisty guy with protagonist (laughs) traits and also the blocking is totally static here too they don't move like the whole scene it's just cutting between them as they stoically exposit about this character we haven't met yet (laughs) yep uh who we also don't really see yet either we're saving the face reveal for later there are so many different aesthetics going on in just this one scene the (laughs) (laughs) because we've got our like trench coat wearing shadowy figure who just seems to be kind of on like uh, noir cyberpunk look going on. He's very yeah. emo, Straight very classic on. Matrix. Mm-hmm. Then there's the like techno pop girl with crazy side pigtails with hair larger than her head uh and she's like straight out of a rave i really liked her yeah she's great she has um only these lines and then she will pretty much never talk again for the rest of the movie oh my god she doesn't talk again what the hell (laughs) i think she nods at a guy later she has a lot of stoic nodding but she doesn't actually have any other lines after this scene right uh, yeah. And then she's with the guy who has a shirt that is cut in such a way as to show off uh, like a boob window, except it's a dude. So it's just sort of like a diamond of chest uh, that's mm-hmm, always exposed. Mm-hmm. It seems impractical for armor, but I have to assume he's going for fashion over function at this point based on is that, how little I know. <laughs> Sorry. Is that the purple one or the one who my brain would not let me see as anyone but Kano from Mortal Kombat? No, that would be um, Kano from Mortal Kombat, not the purple okay, one. Okay, Kano. From, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to be clear. We don't really ever get names for these characters, so I sort of just kept them in my notes as the um, techno figures or purple one. So we'll we'll highlight them if they pop back up because they will be relevant yeah. later slightly. Uh, I do want to note how shadowy, uh, as of yet, unnamed figure gets into a building because he approaches a door, like a regular door, um, and mm-hmm. he doesn't try to open the door by pushing on it or pulling it. No, 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 no. He puts a device on it that opens a portal that he then walks through. <laughs> Um, Which is, wouldn't it have been hilarious if the door wasn't even locked? He didn't even test it to find out if it was locked. He just assumed that the best way was through the power of science fiction. And I kind yeah. of, re- I kind of respect it. Yeah, I mean, but it mostly just ate up screen time. It did, yeah. I was like, he could have just opened the door. We didn't need to know that he had a portal yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, props for the visual storytelling, but wouldn't it have been better visual storytelling and not eaten much more time to have him try the door first? <laughs> Just a little bit. It's character building. He did a thing that a human being would do. Yes, and he's also going to get to kind of show off how futuristic he is about five minutes from now in screen yeah. time. And so it, it just felt like there's a lot of portions of this movie where they re- I really felt like they could have trimmed scenes or cut specific motions out to save time because this is a two hour movie and we get a lot it of is. we get a lot of information but we also get a lot of the same information handed to us both through dialogue and then later reinforced with the actions in the scene but not to a particularly effective purpose. Yeah. 
So the gang on the roof, uh, Purple Lady and her techno bros, get on their sort of various uh, bounty hunting <laughs> gear. She gets onto a bike that goes invisible, which she will remain on pretty much every time she's on screen. And the other guys just sort of have guns that can shoot lasers. Yep. Shadow Man does some funky smelling, which is our first clue that he may have some enhanced sense. uh, Sorry, (laughs) technically our first clue is that they call him a lichen tint, which uh, is basically, we can assume, some kind of space werewolf kind of thing. And we're right, it's not more complicated than that. (laughs) Everything about the concept of the space werewolf in this movie is possibly the only thing I genuinely enjoyed about it. It's... (laughs) everything i I learned about it made me like it more (laughs) i just loved how they kept giving him edgy love interest traits Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like oh he's a loner but he doesn't like being a loner and he was an angel once but he fell and it's like okay all right he's like oh but he's dangerous he's got killer instincts he's a monster baby it's it's stay away for your own good and then they don't use any of them for the actual romantic subplot it's the most bland thing i've ever seen but they do make channing tatum very dramatically sniff the air a lot and i appreciate that they committed to that bit uh, yeah, and every once in a while they allow him to break his stoic handsomeness to scowl yes. somewhat. He's not even snarling. He would be snarling, but uh, he, I mean, Channing Tatum, not the most flexible actor in the world. No, no, no shade to the man. He's doing what I think he loves, which yeah. is great. This but, movie came um, out in 2015, which was kind of, that was right around when like 21 Jump Street and all that was coming out. So this was like peak Channing mm-hmm. Tatum as a hot leading man, mid 2000s yeah. era. It, it was so. like this and G.I. Joe. Yeah. You know? I mean, he, yeah. He was just kind of there to be eye candy for a while. So it was like, you know, at least he has like agency a little bit in this movie. It's kind of nice. (laughs) Sort of. Uh, We'll get to that, though. So he sort of flips Mm -hmm. through some files and then heads back out into the alley and takes out his various sci-fi devices, which all have their own very distinct sound. And he faces off against the bounty hunters, who all also have their own distinct sci-fi devices with very distinct sounds. And he reveals my favorite sci-fi device as they begin their little shootout, because it is, it's just uh. like a shootout, but with lasers. He has these hover skates. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shadow the Hedgehog shoes. Yep. He's got the hover skates that let him roller skate in the air. And specifically so when he uses cool. them, he does the same motion as a speed skater would do to get around. So he can't just, yep. like, hover, right? No, no, no. In order to propel himself, he must move as an ice skater would. So when he's fighting, he actually looks like he's figure skating. Which would be cool if it were like a graceful thing, but he's not got that graceful (laughs) style of combat. He's kind of got like a bit of a bruiser style. And it's the thing is, it is very difficult to be taking the fight scene seriously because you'll be like getting into it. You'll be like, oh, look at that flip. Look at, oh, he's flipping around and stuff. And then Channing Tatum will go into the full speed skating pose and then have to like <laughs> crane his neck to look up so the camera can still see his face and then do the full speed skating swish, swish, swish thing towards the camera. And it's like, oh no, guys. <laughs> it is fight choreography that has been specifically designed in order to make Channing Tatum have to be in the same pose as they always put Spider-Woman on in, like, kind of sexist Ah! comic covers. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh... Oh, God. You know, 
it it was probably the most entertaining part of most of the combat scenes in this movie. So at least it's something to look There's at. There's always something, <laughs> always something disconnecting you from the movie. It's like yeah. you're getting into it, even if you can ignore that the dialogue is incredibly stilted and whatever. You're like, okay, okay, yeah, this is ah, oh, damn it, <laughs> he's doing the speed skating thing again. Yeah, he's squatting twenty thousand feet in the air again. Yeah. They have a little they have a little fight. He gets away, but only because the other guys kind of just, like, decide to stop chasing him once he rounds the corner of the alley. The purple girl's <laughs> like... <laughs> oh, we lost him. Uh, she, she watches him There's... round the corner of a building and just stops chasing him, even though she is on a hover bike that presumably can go as fast as he can speed skate, but whatever. Fight scene over. Time for plot. <laughs> yes. She's like, oh, we have to warn Lord Balaam and the dude in the uh, titty exposure armor is like, actually, uh, let's do something <laughs> different. <laughs> I'm sorry, titty exposure armor. It like it he sounds didn't like have a lot of salient character. <laughs> no, not really. I don't think he really had lines for a while. Yeah, this was kind of, This will be the only time we see them for a hot minute. Meanwhile, Lady Kalik is talking to some dude that her brothers can't know about her involvement with the hunters. So somebody on Earth is doing her bidding. Although we don't really know which dudes are doing what at this point. There's a lot of bounty hunters all converging on a planet with. Mm-hmm. Um, no clear target at this point, except for the protagonist. But that's just in- that's just inference from the plot. Yep. Um. <laughs> One of the things that I really felt about this movie because we do a lot of jumping around locations because we go from Earth in this alleyway to Lady Kalik on her planet to a very Art Deco spaceship with a dude in a swimming pool. Um, oh yeah, which we learned is Balaam. Uh, and I just felt like wait, Balaam was in this. Oh, that was him. Yep. I forgot. Yeah. And it's. I thought I at first he was, was like. Titus. Yeah, you would think it'd be Titus because he's sort of got the like hedonistic traits. But no, I think it was yeah. Balin at this point. Titus is the one who has the zero gravity space orgy on screen later. So yes, like, his character introduction ba- is Balin. Not you, not the not one subtle. I would expect to like nude T pose into the root into the the great red spot of Jupiter. But like, yeah, yeah, that does actually make sense. <laughs> at first, I thought he was pi- piloting his spaceship by swimming in the pool. <laughs> the way he's nah. moving and the way that it is cut with the ship moving, it seems like his movements are making the ship move. And so, for a very long time, I just assumed that whenever he was piloting his ship. It was he, he had to be, be shown nude in a swimming, in a swimming pool. pool. But no, this is just for character like, introductions, I guess. <laughs> that that was like a weird kind of like '90s sci-fi trope, specifically in anime. Sometimes mm-hmm. they would be like, like I, I remember they did this in Outlaw Star. Like the, the lady who could pilot the ship had to be nude in like a tube of, of liquid to do it, and it's like, oh, she had to be. I see how it <laughs> is, but like. It, it was a trope for a little while. I don't know why. I mean, yeah. I know why, but like, I don't know why in universe. <laughs> I don't know if they're paying homage to that here or if it's just a weird <laughs> character introduction choice. But I really thought this movie could use Chirons because there was a lot of points where I'm like, I have no idea where we are. And while I don't necessarily mm. want every movie to tell me exactly where I am, a lot of the locations in this movie, or especially the various different spaceships, look incredibly similar and are very hard to tell apart in the wide shots and so it was difficult to just infer from the establishing shots where we were supposed to be at any given moment and there are a lot of times where we cut between uh close-ups and so then there's definitely no way to tell that you've changed location other than it's a different Mm -hmm. character now yeah, there, there's a lot of, there are some stylistic differences, uh, like the basically Starfleet that show up later. Mm-hmm. Their ship is visually quite distinct, but like all three of like the the hedonist space emperor types, they all have very similar looking ships that are yes. all basically like fractalized gothic cathedrals. Um, 
and stuff like that with like gold filigree everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I think stained glass in at least one of them. Um, And it's like, it's really hard to tell these guys apart by aesthetic because they all have the exact same aesthetic. Yes. Um, And I think that there's some interesting things they could have done with that. I think they could have played a little bit with changing up the color of the ships more. One of my kind of, this movie is very visually beautiful and that it is very shiny and there is a lot of you know shimmering and explosions and things that all look mm-hmm. pretty but it is often very difficult to distinguish what exactly is shimmering because it's just yeah. kind of a lot of like space panels and i i wish they had kind of taken more of a guardians of the galaxy approach to ambiguous space stations where it even though the construction is all very uh homogenous the color palettes are often varied or there will be different sections of different colors within one ship, which helps to kind of establish the shape that we're looking at, uh, even if the actual technical bits and bobs are overwhelmingly similar. Uh, and they didn't, yeah. they didn't do a lot of playing with that in this movie. Not so much. There's there's at least one uh, ship fight scene quite late in the movie that was completely visually incomprehensible oh, in yeah. the wide shots. Uh, it, it was... It was like they were aiming for that thing they did in Star Trek Beyond with the the fleet of micro ships, mm-hmm. um, but they just I I don't know something about the way those ships moved just made it completely impossible to tell what was happening. Uh, yeah, this movie is really a <laughs> a love letter to particle effects. It felt like at times. Yeah, definitely. It's a very pretty movie. I told you I think before you watched it, this movie would probably be better with the sound off. Like, if you didn't hear the dialogue and had to just infer the plot. You know what this movie it reminds looks really me of? really nice. Mm-hmm. Do you remember on iTunes when you could go into that, like, kaleidoscope view and it would, like, procedurally generate, <laughs> like, different color lines to fit whatever song you were listening to? Oh, yeah. At many points in this movie, I felt like I was watching that again, except instead of listening to the car soundtrack from when I was, like, 12, I was listening to Michael Giacchino's score and... Like sometimes uh, it's, uh, it's our boy Mikey G again. <laughs> it's our boy Mikey G, which is why ostensibly I should love this movie, but I just I'm sorry, Mikey G. This is I, I can't put this one I, on the I, pedestal with Speed Racer. <laughs> listen, okay, I, quick tangent before we get back to the plot. I also should have loved this movie, and I will tell you why. The basic plot: Oh, this this heroine, she thinks she's just a normal girl, but she's actually uh, the reincarnation of this really important lady. And uh, this handsome half dog man uh, appears from this other world to help her out. Is like literally the core premise of the show I was way too into as like a high schooler, Inuyasha. (laughs) So when people were telling me this, I was like, "Well, this sounds like exactly my shit. What are you talking about? This is literally the plot of the thing that my brain was stuck on for like a year and a half. What the fuck are you talking about?" Uh, And then I watched it. I was like, "Oh no, I get it. I see. Yeah, this isn't fun actually." (laughs) So, (laughs) but I also went into this like I should like this, right? And Mm -hmm. mm, Mm. something about it you know it's a mystery to me yeah i have some thoughts on it but i think we need to get through a bit more of the movie before we can fully unpack where they went wrong (laughs) maybe introduce all the main characters you know the core plot (laughs) yeah so we find out that balaam while he's talking to his sort of second in command mr knight they're looking for a lady named Catherine dunleavy who is a baffling name to throw out at this point until luckily for us the movie wastes no time immediately cutting to Catherine dunleavy who is Mm -hmm. one of the employers of Jupiter. She's getting ready for a date, asks for Jupiter's advice. They seem sort of friendly. Apparently, Catherine's about to marry an Olympic curler, which I thought was a powerful choice of athlete for them to throw in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
It sort of waxed poetic about love. Jupiter seems super jaded, which is very counterintuitive with every, about everything else we've learned about her so far. She seems like she should be very into the idea of love, but whatever. She rushes off to kind of grab some clothes for Catherine. And this is one of the first instances where I realized just how absolutely horrible the dialogue mixing in this movie was going to be. <laughs> uh, because Jupiter goes off and she is talking about what dress she's going to grab out of the closet. Uh, and she says the line, or this little Ricci which is so clearly ADR because her mouth, which is visible in the shot, does not even move as the line blasts into your ears from the speaker. And I was like, oh, no. Why? (laughs) That's a unique kind of torment. I I don't have the ear for that exactly. Uh, I I haven't done any ADR, so I can't really, like, see it. But I feel like that would just make this movie even more annoying. It's only, like two or three points where you can clearly see it and every single time it's with Mila Kunis's uh, Jupiter character and so I have to assume that they just decided to add more lines for her in post mm. uh, but the lines that they added because this this is on the tail end of her considering between a few dresses to bring out for Catherine and there it really doesn't serve the plot at all like she could have stopped talking when she went to the closet and the next scene would play out the exact same way and so the yeah. fact that they chose to poorly ADR this line in at all uh, really <laughs> infuriated me because that is a waste of time resources and my uh, patience with this movie all at once oh yeah it's a very bizarre choice. Yes. Uh, and so as she's in the closet talking, some like invisible little green men start taking Catherine. And as Jupiter takes a picture of them, her mom calls and the cell phone sound alerts them and the green men swarm all over her. Seconds later, and I mean literal seconds of screen time because we hard cut to the scene that we just saw, except there's no little green men. Both of the ladies wake up in the same room, unsettled, but okay. And they don't seem to remember anything about what just happened oh uh sorry related uh relevant detail Catherine dunleavy the aforementioned rich lady is in lingerie this whole scene oh yeah no, um, no she never puts clothes on. no explanation there's a bit where she's got like the dress in front of her body and mm-hmm. then she says jupiter help and she holds the dress away from her body so that we can see <laughs> it's like yes you're very in shape can we get back to the plot please yes um uh, we don't really ever see her again either so she's no, never again. <laughs> she exists in this Not movie solely to be a name that we think is important for 20 minutes and also to not have clothes on in this scene. Yep. It's the only point. Yep. And like, I, I think the rest of the movie is kind of female gazy. So mm-hmm. I think maybe they were like, we got to balance this out. We got to <laughs> give something for the lads in the audience. Uh, here's a beautiful white uh, white lady uh, in, in black lace underwear for about, I don't know, 45 seconds. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Yes. So we move on to uh, a dinner back at Jupiter's family home with a bunch of other Russian immigrants. And they're all sort of like snipping around the table, you know, friendly banter that family tends to do. They get a little snippy with Jupiter and their mom, but they get snippy right back. And they're all starting to start start arguing in Russian. Uh, Jupiter asks for some money, but gets denied and they don't want her to buy frivolous things. And then we see her later looking at telescopes online, which seems like a weird interest for her to have since up till now she's expressed uh, that she kind of doesn't like astrology and the stars and all of that. But I guess that it's it's in her blood, you know, to be really interested in, I, as I her dad the called them, uh, <laughs> tiny, miracles. tiny miracles in the sky. <laughs> I, I think the implication is that she's trying to feel closer to her, like, missing dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- one detail about when she said earlier, like, oh, you know, love isn't real, whatever, is she was saying that her mother told her that, mm. like, true love doesn't exist, which is interesting because it implies that her mom had this fairy tale romance and then lost her husband and now is like, love isn't real and it's gotten jaded. And Jupiter has just picked that up from her. 
but they try to make it a through line in the movie that Jupiter's really, like, guarded, and that's why she's never been in love, and it's like, uh, guys, sometimes people just don't date for a while, all right? She seems really busy. <laughs> you don't need to explain why she hasn't yeah, dated anyone for a while. She's waking up at exactly 4.45 a.m. every day. I mean, if I was waking up at 4.45 a.m. every day, I would not be dating as much as I would try to now, you know? like. And she's, yeah, <laughs> and she's evidently, like, living with, like, eight other people, uh-huh. all of whom are her immediate family, and she's clearly working almost all day every day. So it's like, when is she supposed to be out there finding a husband? What are you talking about? It's, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's a very oddly like specified plot point, but she does seem really invested in getting this telescope. And I think it's something about like trying to feel closer to her dad, mm-hmm. I guess, is the implication, even though she never expresses that verbally, which you'd think she would, because this movie doesn't really go for subtlety in the dialogue. Not at all. So I th- I think if she were like, I want to, you know, my dad, mm-hmm. oh, I just want to understand him, then she'd probably just say that to the camera. <laughs> that could have been a very sweet moment between her and her mom where they could have been like, oh, cash is tight, but I appreciate like the sentiment of wanting to feel close to your dad. And they could have bonded over that a little bit to make later choices in the movie more impactful. But no, we just kind of see her browsing eBay. Uh, I was interested. I think her and her mom only share one line of dialogue <laughs> yep. in the entire movie. Yeah, they basically uh, yeah. do do not interact throughout almost the entire film. Yeah, yeah. She interacts her with her really cousin Vlad more. <laughs> oh man. Well, she interacts with her cousin Vlad in like three different scenes. You'd think he would be more important to the plot. No. So nope. one thing I thought was interesting is I think it's the same prop telescope that they're using in both the online ad that she's looking for and the one that was stolen from her dad at the beginning. So I I, I wonder if in a more thoughtfully constructed movie that it would have been her trying to buy her father's telescope and sort of like getting it back for him. But uh, it's never mm. really explained. I think they just maybe only had one telescope prop that they could get on set. Uh, and so they just sort of rolled with yeah. it. It's a, it's a, like a distinctly gold telescope of a simple but distinct design. And so it was like, this stands out as yeah. we saw this too nowadays, recently. <laughs> nowadays, it's a lot easier to get like a smaller, like, plastic telescope probably with higher magnification than anything that was working in the 80s or whatever whenever that was supposed to be happening i also don't Um, know how much telescopes cost but the one that she's looking at is four thousand dollars which felt like a lot Yeah, you can get much cheaper telescopes for like a like a few hundred dollars you can get like oh kids first telescope with integrated apps these days and they're not that expensive yeah so i think i think your theory of this being a thing to put her like get her closer with her dad is has a lot more credence if we look at it from that angle, because otherwise it just seems like a, a kind of a vanity choice in telescope aesthetics. Yeah, it's a little odd. I, It does give her character depth, which she didn't have before, because up until now it's just been I hate my life. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, she has dreams, dreams that don't make sense, but she does have dreams. <laughs> That's important. Um, but speaking of her dreams, she needs money for them. So she's talking to her cousin Vlad, who says it asks if she's still good to go with the procedure. She seems a little unsure, and he uses the word harvesting, which is a buzzword for all of you playing along at home <laughs> for a thing that's not going to go well. And, you know, she kind of like reluctantly agrees. And we learn through this conversation that she's going to go uh, donate some of her or sell some of her eggs to science or a clinic of some sort. I think it's a fertility clinic. Yes. Um, which is like, that's a real thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And it does pay ridiculously well, all things considered. Uh, oh, yeah. But it is scary, I think. Yeah. Uh, and if you're unsure, you know, it's never good to go under for any sort of medical procedure if you're, you know, unsure about it. And especially if you're being coerced into it by your cousin Vlad in order for him to, as we learn later, buy Dark Souls. Yeah. And a massive flat screen, which is, <laughs> I mean, 
they really tried to sell us on her family is really shitty and then like kind of walk that back. It's like, actually, they're just normal shitty and family is very important. Mm-hmm. It's like, then why did you make them all such dicks? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yep. At the clinic, Jupiter's kind of just chilling on her phone where she finds the picture of the little green men with Catherine from earlier. Um, and she doesn't really recognize it. She uses the fake name of Catherine DeLevy uh, at the clinic, and so she gets called into the doctor's office. No way, this is going to backfire. She's sort of, like, really unnerved and starting to freak out, and then gets, like, none of the doctors are listening to her, and she gets, like, sci-fi strapped above the bed in that she is wearing, like, restraints that make her hover above the, like, operating table. uh, Because everything in this movie has to hover. Yeah. No standing. It's a very inefficient way to restrain people like the the only hint that this is bad is that she says i can't move my arms and that was probably adr too because she's wearing this big clunky oxygen (laughs) mask i'll see and it's like otherwise it's like oh no they made her float the horror yes Um, the doctor gets a sample and declares that it's definitely her and then they have to kill her and they reveal that they're the little green men who were attacking Catherine earlier uh (gasps) gasp but as they're about to uh, presumably murder her, the shadowy hunter man busts in. That's right. Channing Tatum himself is here and he is air skating into the room. <laughs> Actually, they are they are trying to murder her. They like drop the oxygen to zero. Mm-hmm. So like the oxygen mask is just like suffocating her. I didn't think that was how those worked. I didn't think they made like an airtight seal, but I don't know that much about hospitals. Oh, so I don't it know. was very harrowing. <laughs> to be fair, it's like, oh, you're restrained and you're suffocating. That sounds terrifying. This was maybe uh, the most genuine danger I ever felt like she was in in the movie. Like, there's other points where she's, yeah. you know, over sci-fi pits to nowhere and all that jazz. But at this point, I'm like, wow, she really could die in this scene right now. And it would be... It was kind of harrowing, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's taking the familiar and making it uh, terrifying. Whereas everything else in yeah. this movie is wild, confusing, and I probably will never see it in real life. So it's a little harder to be afraid of, you know... But this is just like medical malpractice mm-hmm. gone wild. It's like if you're already not a huge fan of hospitals or invasive medical procedures, like, whoa, yeesh. But yeah, uh, Sexy McDogman bursts sexy in Sexy McDogman, rescue. a.k.a. Uh, Channing Tatum, who we learn is named yep. Kane, uh, busts in. He does a lot of Kane like- Kane Wise. <laughs> Everyone's names are incredibly on the nose when they're not utter nonsense. There's Maledictus and Mr. Knight on the bad guy's side. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Mr. Wise on the good guy's side. Yes. Mr. Kane Wise. I wish they had named him Kane Nine because I feel like they there's really oh, zero no. in on his one character. If he had tree. a number instead of a name, god damn it, that would have been really funny. List, there's so many sci-fi properties that just like name their super soldiers. It'd just be an easy choice for them to make, and they keep talking about how he's a wolf man. I feel like if you're gonna double down, double down. But no, just double down, yeah. Uh, he shoots a bit. He manages to scatter all the little alien dudes and takes her and they flee together. This is where we get to meet another one of the siblings a little bit more than in that first scene where they were all talking to each other because we hard cut from Earth into this like whale looking ship where there are many women moaning in a space orgy. Uh, space orgy. <laughs> I just, Zero gravity space orgy yeah, They look like they're around Saturn or something because there's kind of like a ring around the planet they're near, but I don't really know. Inside of it is Titus who hears that they have the girl, and begins to head for Earth. Meanwhile, Jupiter wakes up in a room with Kane somewhere in Chicago. He's given her a gun. She doesn't fire it, though. They just sort of, like, talk about uh, what's going on. He's like, hey, there are protocols for how to handle this. And he's like, you're... uh," (laughs) And explains that there's, like... the scene. (laughs) Scene. (laughs) There are many planets with life on them, 
Earth is just one of them, you know, the humans that weren't actually from Earth originally, yada, yada, yada. Uh, then he talks a little bit about who he is. <laughs> oh, God. He's got... Yep. <laughs> this fucking scene. He's got wolf DNA and human DNA, which is a line that is brushed over far too quickly. <laughs> but they keep coming back to they it. Don't worry. They keep coming back to it. Uh, he explains that the spooky little green men are called keepers and them and along with a bunch of other bounty hunters are all gunning for Jupiter now. She makes this jump. He does not suggest anything. She's just like, oh, I have to go with you or they'll kill me or they'll come after her and hunt <laughs> me at home. Uh, and he's like, yeah, great. I'm glad that you've uh, covered this ground for me so that I don't have to convince you. Quick side note. Once again, no blocking in this scene. None whatsoever. <laughs> she wakes up. She grabs the gun that was within reach. And he's, like, standing at a table, turned away, and it's, like, the only cute part of this scene is he's like, I thought you'd make it feel better, but it works better if you pull the switch by your thumb, and then the gun turns on, because it's, like, a space gun, mm-hmm. and then he kind of raises his hands and turns around to show that he's non-threatening, and then he stands completely still while he exposits plot at her for five <laughs> minutes, and she stands completely still pointing the gun at him while she goes through all the standard, oh, this can't be real, the, you mean there's a secret world of science fiction? Right beneath our feet at all time. Wow, that's crazy. You know, very standard mm-hmm. YA uh, entering the secret world, yes. sexy vampire boyfriend, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it's just, I think that was the first part where I was like, oh, now I see why this movie is maybe bad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, boy, well, we'll get to yes. it. We'll this is also the it. first of many scenes where it is just Jupiter and Kane in a room and they are having a conversation and there is clearly some sort of romantic tension that the movie wants us to pick up on, but I am not convinced in any way by the performances that there is any of that romantic tension because they're sort of just I mean, expositing I- at each other. Later on, it becomes a little bit more explicit, but here it's like... A little bit... Here's the thing. I, at all times, buy that Jupiter might be attracted to him. Mm-hmm. I never really get the impression <laughs> that he's into her. Yeah. And I, again, I don't want to diss Channing Tatum's acting ability because I don't know if anyone would be able to make that part of the script work. But, like, he's... Uh, there are so many th- parts of this movie that look like they are trying to be a stock trope and somehow they're missing. And it's like, he's clearly supposed to be like, oh, he's like sexy space werewolf. He's dangerous. He's feral. And instead, he's just this incredibly mild-mannered, polite guy. Yeah. Like, I don't think he raises his voice at any point in the movie. <laughs> it's like, he's he's got the aesthetic of this trope and then none of the meat of it. And and there's a mm-hmm. lot of parts of the movie that felt like that to me. But he he's probably the most obvious one because he's got like romantic leading man written across his chest. And then he just doesn't do anything to support that aesthetic. And it's very, very odd. It feels kind of hollow and soulless. Um, it does. And I have to wonder how much of it was an acting choice on his part and how much of it was the direction he was being given because Channing Tatum can play like the male romantic interest well and he's done it well in other movies he's a very charming actor he can play off a lot of very like comedic situations out of things that wouldn't necessarily be comedic and so it feels more like a directorial choice here that he isn't leaning into any of the salient leading man character traits that you would usually get in this sort of a role uh, rather than it necessarily being like a Channing Tatum acting choice. It's like they took the... Okay, normally in a story like this, there would be a love triangle. Mm-hmm. There would be the dangerous bad boy love interest, and there would be the nice, safe love interest. It's like they gave him the aesthetic and backstory of the dangerous bad boy yeah. love interest, and then the personality of the the like nice guy, harmless love interest. Mm-hmm. 
And the end result is this guy who's like, oh, he's dangerous. He's got the killer's instinct. And then he's just like, all right, I understand you must be confused. Here's a gun so you feel safe around me. Let me just walk you through the, your exciting new life as space royalty. And the most I'm ever going to be is awkwardly polite around you. And it's like, <laughs> what? What's that? You gave us a sexy space werewolf played by Channing Tatum, and then you gave him that personality? <laughs> I don't understand this choice. I don't know. It's, it's very wild. odd. We'll learn. We constantly are learning new traits to assign to him too but they're never mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. never begin to affect his character but we'll get to those he has uh, so many backstories <laughs> we'll get to those as we well this is his first backstory yeah. we'll get to his second backstory in a little bit uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh we cut to balaam who's beefing up security and he goes from whisp- whispering like this to yelling go and then as soon as he shouts go, go it immediately we immediately immediately cut to the uh, next scene. We do not stay on Eddie Redmayne for even a second. You get the word go and then you are out of the scene and it is I do Can't stick around to kind of peel back the curtain. I don't necessarily edit movies, but I am an editor professionally, and so watching that was incredibly frustrating to me. I had to pause the movie and rewind it to make sure that Netflix hadn't just glitched, but no. No no no. No. It's that's just, just how it's cut. Cut like that. It seems like a weird spot to uh, try and shave some time off of the movie, considering that we're about to watch a nearly 30-minute action set piece in which nothing changes. Um, Oh my god, I forgot about that. (laughs) uh, So Jupiter is sort of exploring the wonder of the liquid glass from the portal, because uh, Kane has a portal of some kind opening, and Kane begins to (laughs) explain his flying boots, which let you, as the movie dubs, gravity surf, uh, but as we know, lets you gravity speed skate. Uh, <laughs> okay, real quick, just about that one line, because she asks him, how do the boots work? And he says something like, oh, it creates a differential equation for the gravity that lets you surf on the blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But it's a very short sentence. And then she says, yeah, I heard gravity and surf, which is like, that's the kind of one-liner you say after someone launches into a much longer expositional explanation that is cartoonishly technobabbly, rather than a one-sentence explanation. Like, the only thing she mm-hmm. missed from that is differential equation. By the way, not how those work, but that's fine. <laughs> it feels like that. this felt like a genre-savvy mo- moment where the movie was like, hey, we have to make it so that our main character doesn't understand some technobabble. We haven't really had an opportunity to drop any technobabble yet, so just the first time we have mm-hmm. to explain something, she's going to do this, even though there are much more confusing lines like 30 minutes from now. I, I, up until now, when he's like, yes, aliens from space, humans seen at the planet, something, something, scary little green man, all blah, 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 and she's like... She's like, all right, that's fine. Then he's like, my boots let me fly. And she's like, whoa, slow your roll, buster. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me how again. And then he says, I think up is hard, down is easy. And then proceeds to step into a tractor beam that lifts them up effortlessly. Yeah, so they they (laughs) walk through their like liquid glass portal as they're heading for their ride off of Earth. But their ride gets uh, immediately blown up and they start plummeting. Kane catches Jupiter and they got a gravity surf away from some bad guys. It's the little green dudes from earlier. Oh my God. Uh, we're really this action scene. I love this action scene so much. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> this is the first in a series of action set pieces that personally I feel like go on far too long. Although this is the one I yes. enjoyed the most out of all of them. There is a lot of repetitive shots, but a lot of those repetitive shots are of the limitations of CGI ice skating wire work. Yeah. <laughs> Here's okay. Here is the thing about this like ten minute protracted chase scene through Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, and it is in Chicago. It's like shot in Chicago. Uh, I recognize a lot of those places. It was very cool. Um, there is 
Next to no dialogue. We have just met Kane and don't really yet have reason to be invested in him other than he's, you know, hot and Jupiter seems to like him. But even that hasn't really been established yet. She's still in the tentative, I don't know if I trust what's going on yet stage. We haven't really gotten a chance to get to know either of these characters very much. And there is no dialogue in this scene None. between them. No quipping. Which means we are, well, no. sorry. There's, there are, Kane says three lines. They are all <laughs> variants of hold on tight or don't let go. Every time Jupiter is almost immediately flung into the stratosphere and he needs to go catch her. I wish they'd had <laughs> the balls time. to throw a hold tight spider monkey in here and just fully cross over into the YA <laughs> genre. <laughs> yeah, just, just go all the way. Just play it to the hilt. But that's the thing, like, this really illustrates that what makes action scenes and chase scenes exciting is not usually the action or the chase. It's how much we are invested in the characters mm -hmm. the action and chase is happening to. And we don't yet re have a reason to be invested in these guys. And we're not getting more feel for their characters through the course of this chasing. We're getting, okay, Kane is pretty good with them rocket boots and Jupiter needs to work on her grip strength. And that's really all we get in this entire chase scene. Yep. And they keep blowing up buildings in Chicago. But that's just like... That's just pyrotechnics and special effects. It doesn't grab the eye unless we're invested in the characters it's happening to, and they haven't yet gotten us invested. And it's also and that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're completely right. The the scene is not really doing anything to assist with the character investment. But then it's also um, blocked and edited in such a way where it's also incredibly difficult to follow the action that is happening. So it's not working on mm -hmm. any level. It's not working on a character investment level, and it's also not working on a cool action set piece level because while things are certainly blowing up and there's a lot of motion uh it's hard to understand the spatial geography of where they are other than city yep. it's hard to track at any point how much peril they're actually in because it's constantly cutting between seemingly an infinite number of ships and them uh aerial ice skating and it, it just yep. it's constantly she is falling off and then getting caught by kane it it's incredibly difficult to follow, and so much like a lot of the action set pieces in this movie, it, it's just not working on any level other than killing yeah. some screen time in a two-hour movie. So, you know. Yeah, they really didn't need to pad this one out. And yeah. it ends with, like, a visual joke, which I, I don't think it really earned. Because mm -mm. uh, they, they basically, they outrun the ships, and they sort of skate to a halt on a, like, a, like, like on a parking lot roof, and the ship crashes right next to them and skids into a parked car and then the car alarm goes off. <laughs> I was like, you know what? All right. Yep. You know what? I'll give you points for trying. You were aiming to be funny and it was kind of funny. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, this, this whole fight goes on far too long. Um, they also, I want to point out how they fly ships because at one point, Kane and Jupiter get into one of the ships. They manage to commandeer it and it, it later gets blown up in the same scene, but they have to fly it for a short period of time. And they God, do the goes on so uh, a similar thing to how they pilot the bikes and ships in Tron Legacy, where they have sort of like handlebars on either side, sort of like if you were on a yep. motorcycle. And uh, different from Tron Legacy is in order to pilot the ship, you fully have to wiggle in order to steer either direction. So it's yeah. sort of like if you're on one of those like snowmobile or motorcycle racing games at an arcade, except it's a, supposed to be a high-tech spaceship that's intuitive to fly. Um, and I, yeah. I did love the close-up shots of Channing Tatum fully like wiggling from side to side in what I have to assume was like a CGI green booth that he was in at the yeah. time. I mean, th this poor guy, they're like, you're a super cool spaceman from space. Now wiggle like your heart depends on it. And it's just like, this poor guy, they're, they're giving him like, you have to be cool and do all this wacky mm -hmm. stuff. 
I wish mm. they had let him be a bit more comedic because Channing Tatum can be a very funny actor in action set yeah. pieces. I mean, he was this was coming off the heels of Twenty One Jump Street, like that movie did great. Um, but no, I think if they'd let him just do like facial acting, mm-hmm. just like they could keep him silent and stoic as long as he's like visually reacting to stuff, expressing skepticism or confusion. I think that would have really helped sell us on his character. There's a lot there that they could have worked with, but he just doesn't emote most of the time. <laughs> Yep. He's just too much of an angsty uh, space wolf man for him to ever show any real emotion. <laughs> yeah, if they if they were making him the bad boy leg of the imaginary love triangle, they'd be able to make him like snarky or like kind of mm-hmm. like he'd, he'd scoff a little bit or raise an eyebrow at stuff. But no, he's too sincere. So he has to be stoic and unmoving in the face department all the time. It's like he's not even wearing crazy facial prosthetics. He could have been moving his face. No, he just has a very unfortunately dyed facial hair and eyebrows. Yeah, they gave him a wacky little goatee and like pointy ears. And that is it. Mm-hmm. That That's really it. Yep. Uh, and they dyed his eyebrows. I don't know why people keep doing that. Like it didn't look good in Thor 1. It's not going to look good anywhere else. Eyebrows are very hard to dye. So is his yep. beard is also dyed and it's... It's not, I think that particular dye is just really not working for him in either direction. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of gingery, mm-hmm. I think. But you can sort it's of just see a very the paint in it. You know, it's, it's a little the, bit. It doesn't really look like hair. <laughs> there is a particular brand of like sci-fi hair color changing hair and makeup effect where you can mm-hmm. sort of see the paint or dye that they used in it. There's like a, a faint like grain and stiffness to the yeah. way that it's styled and it's yeah. very obvious on him here but it, it does reoccur across multiple movies so i feel like that might just be one of the limitations of uh well, so- <laughs> and it's because he's he's got he's got black hair naturally mm-hmm. which is very hard to dye like it's mm-hmm. the hardest color to dye because usually you need to bleach it first and i don't think they did that here oh, so wow. it's just it, it's just rough anyway yeah. we're roasting this poor dog man too much <laughs> this poor dog man whose it's second backstory we bad. haven't even heard yet uh yeah we're, we're so early in the movie it's okay. This it's is how been an hour. this is how every episode of this podcast goes. Is we spend like an hour talking yeah. about the first twenty minutes of the movie, and then we speed through the rest of it. Yeah, awesome. So we go from day to night in Chicago as now the duo are driving a regular car out into the night countryside. Or night to day. Thank you. Yeah, the sun has risen. Sun has ri- risen, and it's not that we saw it rise. We just hard cut to the sun being risen, as though that much time has passed, uh, and that's how long it must have taken them to hijack a car. Uh, Jupiter, apparently just now asking what's going on, is informed about the (laughs) Abrasics family, which is the three siblings we saw from earlier. They're super powerful and rich, and and they're going to rebuild Chicago in a single night and wipe everyone's memories, men in black style, so that no one remembers what happened to them. Kane is working... Because God knows nobody ever takes photos in Chicago of buildings. And they actually do broach that subject because they're like hey you know your mind was like before when you saw the photo you didn't remember it and she's like well they can't possibly wipe everyone's minds and kane's just like yeah but the people who do remember are just going to be told that they're crazy so it's but like i feel like if i were flipping through my camera roll and then i found like 30 pictures of the sears tower exploding and then it's fine (laughs) i'd be like huh i wonder where these came from and their location tagged to the sears tower so i must have been there how odd (laughs) It's yes. not like I screenshotted a video because I was physically there. My phone remembers. I don't know. It's it, at this point in the they, movie. They hand wave it. Yeah. <laughs> there was so much going on at this point in the movie that I'm. I was like, you know what? I don't even want to dwell on it. Fine. No one's gonna remember. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. <laughs> sure. Fine. Yep. Every secret world needs a reason that the secret world is preserved, and magical mind wipes that work on everybody is the easiest way to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Cain reveals yeah. that he was hired by Titus to find Jupiter. Balaam, meanwhile, who currently controls Earth, wants her dead for unknown reasons. Balaam is watching the, you know, rerun of the fight scene uh, because we have to rehash it for about 10 seconds or so as he watches it. And he pauses He pauses his replay on his spaceship with Kane in a very funny, like, deep squat mid-air. Yeah, <laughs> up in the corner of the room. Yeah. Oh, man, poor man. Uh, poor man. He seems to recognize Jupiter, uh, said that she always understood the universe. It's all very unclear at this point why he is so hung up on her. Uh, he asked his lizard man, lizard man sidekick how the hunter got away, the hunter, of course, being Kane, uh, and threatens him that if he gets away again, it'll be the end of lizard man sidekick. Back in the yep. stolen car, Jupiter notices that Kane is bleeding and uses a pad to stop him from bleeding. Um, uh, sorry, can we let, let's not gloss over this. No, 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 this. I've got this a very another... specific note here because she puts... Good, good. So this is, of course, a sanitary pad, as any woman is familiar with. She says, you know, it's, I'm happy that this car was owned by a woman that we must have stolen it from because she's got this. And she puts it adhesive side down onto the wound. Now... For those of you unfamiliar, there are two sides to a pad. There is the pad side, which is absorptive, and then there is the adhesive side that is often covered with plastic, but, you know, it's how you stick it to things. And if you were to say... It's very specifically not designed to let liquid through because then the pad stops working as intended. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so sticking that onto an open wound feels like a good way to do one of two things. One is nothing, and two is cause an infection of some sort. And personally, it's a very just, weird it just choice. is a weird choice. It's it's a well, the thing is, it, it's very clearly supposed to be like, oh, this is a cute little like, this is a stock romantic trope. Mm-hmm. Of, oh, you're bleeding. Oh, it's nothing. No, let me see. You know, that's very standard. Like yes. they, they had to put that in here, so of course they did. But it's like, I gotta wonder, like, did. Anyone on the production team who's used a sanitary pad weigh in on this first? <laughs> How did this get through everybody? I feel like they had to like just have been 20 takes deep on this goddamn scene and they're like, you know what? I don't even want to check for continuity anymore. Just like go for it. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the continuity break later. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Oh. Yeah. oh, well, there's one specifically about this that I think is hilarious. <laughs> Uh, so they have a little what none of the moments that are supposed to be funny in this movie are funny but there are a lot of lines that are unintentionally so Uh, this is one of those moments where it's supposed to be funny and it sort of was just weird based on the amount of time that both of us spent thinking about how that was the wrong way to use a pad to triage heal someone in a car the joke didn't land I mean, it was very specifically supposed to be funny, but it was supposed to be funny like, huh, he probably doesn't know what that is because he's from space. <laughs> um, <and laughs> Except he does like, oh, know yeah, what she... it is because he raises an eyebrow well, in confusion when she uses it. And he's like, is that a... <laughs> well, he, well, he just says, is that? And it's like, well, yeah, he wouldn't know what the fuck that is. But I mean, <laughs> it, or the better question is, why would he know what that is? Maybe he's just like a really good boyfriend. Yeah, you the know. Kind of like goes out and buys the stuff when you need it, you know. But <laughs> I, I got the impression that he didn't know what it was, but then they kind of maybe hinted that he was like, yeah, I don't I don't know, man, whatever. <laughs> I was driving. She stuck it on me. What was I supposed to say? Exactly. He uh, could also drive remarkably well for someone from space. I'm not sure why Jupiter wasn't driving the car. Yeah, I wish he was like really hardcore wiggling side to side as he was driving. I have to, <laughs> like, you know how that's how they fly or the like, ship, so he would only assume it's a one-to-one, right? <laughs> Or he expressed any confusion about, like, why would you only have two pedals? How am I supposed to add the nitrous? And she's like, no, no, that, I don't know. I think that if they wanted this scene to be funny, there were many ways it could have been funny. She could have been driving. He could have been like, 
what's this button do? And she's like, stop that. I'm trying to focus. <laughs> yes, but no. And then be like, wait, also you're bleeding all over this nice car that we got from this random woman in Chicago. And he's just like, oh, it's nothing. It's dramatic. I don't know. There, there were ways this could have been funny that didn't involve grotesque misuses of maxi pads, but whatever. Yep. Uh, they <sighs> arrive at a farm uh, owned by a space cop, a space cop who we later learn is Sean Bean. Uh, there's a lot of bees yep. around. Kane uh, so knocks on the door and he's welcomed by a gun to the head and a sucker punch and he and Sean Bean begin to brawl a bit as a younger girl, Sean Bean's daughter named Kiza, comes out and watches and sort of like, oh, they're just, and you know, demanding She describes it as a male mating ritual. Uh, Baffling on many and also, levels. <laughs> yes, and also while they're punching each other through stuff, they are just having the most sedate conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, they keep tackling each other through, like, porches and shit, and Kane's like, we're just here to find out information about this girl. <laughs> He's just like, I got nothing to say to you. <laughs> it's just a very odd, I think it's supposed to be funny. It's like, oh, these guys are two old, like, battle buddies, so they're mm-hmm. just casually fighting each other while they're having this chill conversation. And it's also showing how how stoic and badass Kane is, but it's like, we know he's stoic. He has no other personality trait yet. <laughs> I think it does more to establish how uh, stoic and badass Stitcher, we learn his name, Sean Bean's name is, uh, because he's oh, absolutely Stinger, right? Dex Kane. and Stinger. Has, is it Stinger? I think I am confusing I think it's the Stinger because he's, platform with <laughs> the name of he's, Sean he's character. Gen- He's genetically part B is the reason mm. why he's called Stinger. And when he's introduced, he's briefly in shadow and his eyes have a slightly like honey yellow glow about them. I'm sorry. I need like, to roll like you they're... back for a second here because uh, I did not oh, put yeah, together. Yeah. Where did the information that he is part B come from? Oh, oh no. Uh, I, I believe it's, <laughs> I think it's later when he's talking to uh, to Jupiter and she's like, you and uh, Kane both have marks on your necks, but they're different. What is it? And he's like, oh, it's the signature of the splicer who made us uh, Dr. Something Something. She was really into bees. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's all we get, man. But yeah, he's he's part B. That's why he hangs out with bees all the time. Oh, man. Okay, um, that, that makes so much more of what's happening in the scene make sense. So uh, when, yeah, when I live tweeted it, I kept calling him Sean Bean with the B emoji and then an N. Perfect. Uh, it was very clever. So as the boys are fighting, all of the bees nearby start forming up around Jupiter with some, like, angelic music playing. And once again, an ADR Jupiter line strikes. Um, Stinger <laughs> sort of, like, bows to her. And she's like, he's like, oh, your majesty. Your Jupiter, majesty. queen of the bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he says that bees are genetically programmed to recognize royalty. Yep. <laughs> and that's all the explanation we get about that. <laughs> This oh, is one of God. my favorite plot points in the entire movie. This is this was I the one so part much. where I was genuinely fully invested in what was happening. And this is like this is how we find out why everyone's been chasing mm-hmm. Jupiter so much. This, this is, is, a is how major they reveal. reveal. This is like, oh, Jupiter's yes. not just a normal girl. No, no, no. Jupiter is like space royalty. But they call her Your Majesty about six times before she thinks to ask, okay, what's the Your Majesty thing about? Yep. And it's like, lady, this is, you're you're inside now, they've made you tea? You didn't think to ask in the last 15 minutes why he started bowing to you and stopped beating up your werewolf boyfriend? Yep, we get a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of exposition in a very short time period inside the farmhouse now. Um, and this is all not necessarily going to be in order, but it is all sort of quasi-important. So we learn Jupiter is some sort of space royalty. That's what the Your Majesty thing is all about. We learn that Kane and Stinger are both genetically uh, engineered 
human something hybrids. In Kane's case, it's a wolf, but he was like the runt of his pack, and he's half albino. Something and, like yeah, a yeah, wolf. Yeah, something like he, a wolf. He, specif- <laughs> he specifies that it's something like a wolf. They keep comparing shit to Earth stuff, which really doesn't make much sense because they're from space. And only humans were seated on Earth. All the other wildlife appears to be just normal. Whatever. But yeah, he, he's something like a wolf, and he's half albino. Whatever the fuck that means. Like, we, don't, we don't have enough distinguishing character traits on our male lead. Quick. <laughs> just half think. albino. And, and he's the runts of the litter, and they're born to be in a pack, but he's alone. He should have died, but he didn't, because he's just so cool. You can tell yeah. from how his face never changes. And he, like... He, like, ripped the throat out of space, another space royal in the past, which this is where we yeah. learn why Kane is sort of like an outsider. And this is also, so what you were saying earlier about Balin talking yep. like that because his throat was ripped out, uh-huh. it Im- would be implied that Kane was the one who did it. But because we never learn why Balin talks like that in the movie, that whole that is an just- excellent way to establish some, like, existing tension yeah. between those two characters. And it is not it at all It would have been kind of cool. I don't so think those cool. two even share a conversation. I think that no. that's why they never. Um, but like, yeah, and also that it's like, oh, he's got a genetic defect that makes him like predisposed to attack royalty because that's a thing Ay. that happens. Even though we've just established that Jupiter is royalty, they play <laughs> to the degree that bees can tell. So I guess. <laughs> I, I, it kind of just shows right out the gate that like that whole thing about oh he's he's a he's a monster baby is like just demonstrably untrue mm-hmm. because if that were the case he would have been attacking Jupiter yeah. or at least not been like so protective. He's just a mild so we come space dog man, okay? Yeah, we just come out swinging like okay, so this thing about him isn't true. We just know that, mm-hmm. which means any tension about like oh gosh, I, I hope they're gonna be okay is like out the window because we already know they'll be fine. This doesn't change anything. It's a very odd. I mean like. It works as a backstory element, but it would have made more sense if Jupiter had said something like, but wait, if I'm royalty, he, he's just been, he's been nothing but a gentleman to me. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, you know how it is. Mm. You, you do one bad thing to cross the royals and they find any excuse to get rid of you. You know, there, there are ways that they could have written this dialogue that was in character and expository mm-hmm. and made sense for them to say, but it really is like, we've got so much plot stuff we need to explain. We, there's no time to pump the brakes. Whatever character is available, they will explain stuff. Um, exactly. Uh, or ask leading questions to be explained and too. sort of the way that Stinger, you know, builds up his credibility and the whole like Jupiter is a space royal per- theory is that he says bees don't lie. So we're bees are the <laughs> lie detector of this movie. Uh, we also get a little bit of important information in that uh, Kiza, Stinger's daughter, coughs as she leaves to get groceries. So in movie language, we all know that she's dying of some mysterious disease. She coughs once and he's like, Kiza, she's like, I'm fine, dad. And then walks out and it's yes. like. All right, well, she's fucked. In one of her two screen appearances, she coughs, so we know that she is probably severely ill. Not long for this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very odd choice. Jupiter gets a call from her cousin, Vladdy. Everyone's favorite part of the movie. Everyone's favorite part of the movie. And it cuts to him playing Dark Souls and talking about how good the graphics is. And I know specifically that it is the video game Dark Souls because I spent many, many hours watching my brother play it and I would recognize that goddamn video game anywhere. Uh, <laughs> he said when she says she didn't go through with the treatment to sell her eggs, he gets super shocked and he like is super insistent that they reschedule because we learned that he already spent the money. And you think that maybe this will become someone who is gunning for her or make him sell her out at some point. But no, this is just going to be kind of a background plot about him being kind of a crappy cousin. But like uh, to his credit, he doesn't like blame her when no. she's like, yeah, there was an accident. Somebody got hurt. He's like, no, but I already spent the like he's not like you got to go back in there mm-hmm. right now. What are you doing, man? No, he's he's like. 
he's pretty understanding. He's just freaking out because he already spent like, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars or something on exactly this fancy new game system and the flat screen and the yeah. So <sighs> could have been a lot worse, all things considered. Kane goes off to get some guns because, uh, as he and Stinger sort of talk about, there's no way they're going to survive the night on this farm to get the extraction. Um, they've contacted the Aegis, which is like the space police that both of them were. Starfleet. Yeah, it's, it's Starfleet. It's Starfleet. Uh, it's, yeah, come on. It's even got a woman with the exact same updo as they give every other woman in Starfleet. So it really. She is quite cool, though. I like her. She She's is um, unironically the best character in the movie. Kane is the most entertaining, but. Yeah. <laughs> She's probably the best character, and I, they've got kind of a, like a fun diversity of like background characters. Mm-hmm. There's just like this robot lady with like you know like that cool like '90s clear plastic casing, yes. so you can see all the workings. <laughs> She's fun. There's an elephant man um, on the pilot seat. There's an elephant man. They put a lot of focus on the elephant man who doesn't seem capable of human speech. <laughs> the subtitles just say that he trumpets a couple times, which is deeply hilarious. So I don't good. know. I, I like the space Starfleet. I want to see more about those guys. I know. I've. There's no movie that I want them to make based off of this, but if they had to, I would hope that they would focus on Space Starfleet. Uh, well, I guess yeah. Starfleet is inherently... You know, we're getting lost in the weeds here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. All right, back on track. <laughs> All right, we also learned that humans uh, weren't originally on Earth, that they're colonizers from another planet, uh, and that the meteor that destroyed the dinosaurs was manufactured by humans out in space. As they're having all this exposition, a bunch of those spooky dudes from earlier, you know, our techno pals with the titty armor and the purple hair. Yep, them and some friends are back and stalking through the cornfield. <laughs> yeah, baby. It's time for another wordless action set piece. Oh, yeah. Just as uh, Jupiter is starting to learn about the third instance in which the word harvested is ominously said in this movie in reference to Earth, <laughs> a bunch of guns start firing off from the corn and it's uh, time to fight. Oh, we, we skipped over my favorite uh, continuity error. Uh, <laughs> when, when they arrive, obviously they're like, oh, Kane, you're injured. He takes off the shirt and uh, the pad is, which was on the outside of his shirt, is now on the inside of his shirt and extremely bloody. <laughs> And they're like, okay. And then they just heal him with a gun. But then he like keeps his shirt off the entire scene. And I was like, I wonder why he's doing that. But I know why. And we'll get to it. (laughs) It's another soullessly executed romantic trope. And we'll get there. (laughs) There's so many. (laughs) Because they they, they know they're going to be under attack. I was like, is there no armor in that? Do you honestly feel like you'll be better equipped if you're not weighed down by that bulky trench coat? What are you doing, man? (laughs) So, yeah, we'll get there. Yep. Fighting ensues. Um, Kane is fighting shirtless. St- Stinger goes to defend Jupiter, but gets shot by like a force gun. He's not like shot, shot. He's just sort of blasted backwards and lays on the ground, and then we pan yeah. away from him. Jupiter is in trouble, but the bees come to save her for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Bees come briefly. to her rescue briefly, and then she flees into the corn. There's about, as with every other action set piece in this movie, there's about five things too many going on at any given moment. Lots of bounty hunters in the scene. Jupiter is blasted by the force gun, but before she can be killed, purple techno girl and titty shirt uh, save her and tractor beam her into their ship. Kane leaps into. They, they, they do that by like they do that by killing the other guy, mm-hmm. the Kano lookalike, uh, the dude with like the prosthetic and the the weird haircut yes. with no lines. Uh, yeah, so it's like oh a double cross. The the hunters weren't on the same side. This would have been wild if they had any dialogue with each other that implied these people knew each other. <laughs> 
or were more than just like exposition machines. Yep. She explained the plot. Nope. They're just here um, to get Jupiter to the first of the three siblings that she's going to have to meet. They take off in their ship. Kane leaps into the air, grabs their like landing gear and hitches a ride. Clings to the space. outside of the spaceship. <laughs> Clings to the outside of the spaceship. He's still on the outside of the spaceship when they arrive on the planet they were going to. So I was. it's like that bit in Indiana Jones where he's on the outside of the sub when they start the travel montage and then he's still on the outside of the sub when they surface later. It's like, what is happening? How are you alive? So I was like, oh, he must be okay to survive the vacuum of space. No, no, no. This is later proven to be false. <laughs> Yes, space is every bit as deadly to space humans as it is to Earth humans, as we'll later learn in the movie. Even genetically engineered half-albino-like anthrope former angels. <laughs> oh, right, we forgot to mention, he oh, used yeah. to have wings, but they were confiscated. Him and Stinger both, as part of, I think they were in, what is it called, Legion? Or I could never tell if they were I, space cops or if they were in like a different space enforcer force. I think... I don't think they're the same space enforcer force. They, I think they were in the Legion, where you get wings, and he was also a skyjacker, where you get the boots. And uh, I thought that's it was skyjackers get the wings. No, no, because uh, remember at the beginning, Purple Techno Lady is like, oh, a skyjacker. And someone's like, how can you tell? And she says, the boots. And it cuts down to the darkest oh. shot imaginable <laughs> where nothing is discernible. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, but yeah, he, he was like a half albino wolfman angel. And then he got the wings confiscated <laughs> because he's such a bad boy, such a, a, a bad, just... bad dog boy. <laughs> Oh my god. Who can cling to the outside of a spaceship if it's a montage, but not if it's not a montage. Mm-hmm. We get another shot of Balaam waxing poetic about preparing for an early harvest and having to catch Jupiter, yada yada yada. And then we're back to Kane yeah, having hitched fun. a ride on a ship to another, uh, presumably another planet. This one, we learn that this belongs to Kalik, you know, one of those three siblings we saw earlier. The bounty hunters exchange Jupiter for a bunch of blue glowing space money, we have to assume. And that is the last we will see I think it's implied to be the... I think it's Regenex. I think it's the 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 goop. Yes, it's we. The goop that gives at this you point, life. we don't know that it's the goop that gives you life. So it, I clocked right. it as just sorry, uh, sorry. space money. But yes, we're gonna find out in about five minutes that it is uh, yeah. goop that gives you life. The global currency is goop. Yes, uh, Kane jumps off the ship before it lands on the main platform and sort of just like stalks around the castle and a bunch of scenes that are crosscut with Kali giving us more exposition to Jupiter. Um, so just because, assume at the background right. of every single shot that I'm going to talk about with Kalik and Jupiter, we are cutting between yeah. Kane um, secretly ice skating around the castle. Uh. Because, oh my god, this annoyed me so much. Uh, the, the short of it is that Kalik's not even like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like a, she's kind of a bad lady. She's doing morally questionable stuff. But like, she's she doesn't want anything bad for Jupiter. No. She's just helpfully explaining plot stuff to her. She put her in this nice dress, which makes this the second time that Jupiter has woken up in a strange place in a different outfit and she's actually kind of annoyed by this which i think is very (laughs) funny it's like her only salient character trait (laughs) um and uh and like she's not in danger but they're framing it like it's the the, okay it's not that this is a stock romantic trope but this is a stock romantic trope uh one of them is damseled somewhere and the other one has to sneak in to rescue her and he's like oh he's like vulnerable and injured and oh it's high octane and tense except she's not in danger nope and he had no reason to be shirtless and vulnerable <laughs> he just took his shirt off for no reason it's they're they're soullessly executing another romantic trope that can be really fun when it's earned but it's just like she's not in trouble and he has no reason to be in this situation mm-hmm. 
Basically, the rest of this movie is going to follow encounters with each of the three space children that we saw at the beginning. Kalik, progressively more dangerous, but all of them are, yeah, as you said, they're structured the same way. Jupiter gets damseled, and then Kane is going to come and rescue her, but with progressively more difficult barriers between him and her. Just like, this one's one's not even a rescue. If anything, she's rescuing him, because he, like, shows up, and then there's, like, a million guards pointing guns at him, and she's like, it's okay, we're all on the same side. And then, like, Kalik is like, well, I was going to take you to the place you need to go next, but he can do it, too. It's totally fine. And then they just leave. But we're missing the exposition. I'm yes. sorry. It's uh, This annoys me so much. So Kalik takes Jupiter to various different rooms in her palace, one of which is full of candles and also a statue of Jupiter, who it's revealed is actually the mother of the trio. Kalik explains that in space culture, genes have spiritual significance. And when the exact code of genes appears in the same order, it's like a reincarnation, except unlike reincarnation, uh, in some cultures, you don't have any memories whatsoever. So basically, it's just like random chance. Kalik yep. reveals that she's 14 millennia old and that her mother was murdered at 91 millennia. And despite the long life, they don't know who killed her. And they hope that Jupiter will be like a second chance at bonding with her mom. So sort of sets up why all these oh. kids are gunning for Jupiter. Yeah, because uh, cause she says that uh, Jupiter's uh, the, the queen of space wrote her future self into her will. Mm-hmm. So Jupiter is the rightful owner of the planet Earth, which, as we know, is extremely valuable from yes. the first scene these three were talking about it. Also, uh, there's a bit where Jupiter says out of the blue almost, but how could I be a reincarnation of your mother unless your mother was from Earth? Which is a completely ungrounded logical leap <laughs> since she already knows humans are from space and I don't know why she said that. It doesn't even lead into any important exposition. Nope. It's just an incredibly baffling logical jump. Also, the room full of candles. They're walking around in these two incredibly long trained elegant dresses. No, and I was like, the world's craziest so flame retardant on all of their clothes. They have to smell terrible because there is no way <laughs> that they have just a, a sacred room full of candles that they regularly enter in those yep. level of gowns. It's insane. This is also. This is also when she demonstrates the goop. Yes, what the so goop does. Kalik uh, gets naked and goes into a pool of goop, at, old at first, and then when she emerges, she's super young, and she's like, yeah, I saved my genome at its like most prime time, and now I can reset myself, and sort of, uh, it says that it's powered by the crop that they grow on Earth, which we know is human, so that's not good, mm-hmm. uh-oh. So the go- I can't believe the goop is made from people. It's like the <laughs> twist in the Matrix all over again. <laughs> What a twist! So uh, his people, what? Um, yeah, and she, yeah, it just it just washes the old people makeup off. I was like, how much more impactful would this scene have been if Judy Dench went in and <laughs> uh, Tuppence something came out? Mm-hmm. Tuppence Middleton, uh, beloved character actress. Yeah, yeah, her. I just think it would have been cool. Oh but, yeah, you know, no, I, I agree. It's again, they did not commit to the bit as much as they could have for. Yeah. pretty much any scene. Jupiter's clearly uncomfortable with this, but like Kalik isn't being outwardly like villainous or anything, so it's sort of just like a air of discomfort. Uh, this is about when Kane will swoop in and do the whole like, I'm saving you, but actually you're <laughs> not really any danger. that wasn't necessary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, oh, I'm here to save you. All these guards pointing guns at me was part of my plan, which would have been funny if he'd said something like that. But no, he's completely stoic and you know, mm-hmm. silent mm-hmm. throughout that whole bit while Jupiter's like, no, it's fine. We're all on the same side. And they are. There's no like last second <laughs> double cross. Kalik is like, cool, all right, have fun. <laughs> I just want to hang out later. Yeah. So they have to go to like the center of all space bureaucracy to get Jupiter like officially named uh, the heir to her title. Uh, and so they're getting escorted there on the Aegis Cruiser, which is like the space cops along with Kane. Starfleet. Um, Starfleet, yep. yeah. And on board, the space cops are like, oh, your majesty. And she's like, oh, no, my name's Jupiter Jones, but you can call me Jupe, which is a nickname she has not once used in this movie and will not once use again. 
<laughs> Why? Actually, her cousin calls her that. Does, her, her cousin does, calls her that on the phone. Once. Vlad, twice, technically. Vla, does Vlad exist Vlad, in this movie Vlad just to Jew. justify this one line? Because I'm... It made I, me so mad. <laughs> this was. This also has one of my favorite bits where they're like, is there anything we can do to make Your Majesty's voyage more comfortable? And she's like standing there in this incredibly elegant gown and she's like, you know, I'm feeling a little overdressed. Mm-hmm. So um, if I could just like get some clothes that I change into by myself while I'm awake. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, and, you got and me. this is the one part where they let funny. Channing Tatum emote too because he's framed in the shot and he does a little like, what do you mean? Like shrug when she looks over at him accusingly i was like that's nice see if they were doing that the whole time this would be a much better movie and and in their defense like when they first have their conversation and like she's like wakes up in clothes and she's like what's up and he looks a little flustered and he's like well you know you were still in that like paper hospital gown so i thought you'd be more comfortable and it's like you know what i kind of respect that it's like gentlemanly but in a way that i could still see as being kind of like uncomfortable for both parties involved Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also like i just like that you know we're like i don't know like 40 50 minutes into this movie and they now have a salient character trait between them and i'm like all right you know what i don't mind this i don't mind this at <laughs> Fine, all i guess this is happening now uh stinger reveals that he is on board the ship and also somehow still alive and they are en route to the center of all bureaucracy the lizard man that is second in command balaam gets killed and replaced with an identical lizard man who has the same orders of bringing her to him that's just going to be happening and in the, the same character model same Let's character model come on <laughs> yes and he, he's he's not just killed, he's he's goopified. They put him in the goop machine <laughs> and he turns into goop. Him into goop. Which raises an interesting <laughs> question because he's clearly not human, he's a lizard man. Uh, it's So far they've seemed to establish that the goop has to be made from humans, but could it just be made from like anyone? Can anyone be made well, into goop? I think maybe the goop machine can use anything, but like if you get goopified, like they can't really use you as goop because uh, the, the way they say it is like, it, it's actually pseudoscience-y, but like it's technobabble that kind of makes sense. They're like, yeah, you know, you need a, uh, you need a diverse genetic crop in order to be able to make the, the goop properly rejuvenate because there's different grades of goop and how well it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, yeah, you know, we try using clones, but uh, genetic similarity is actually very dangerous. There was a gene plague a few millennia ago that nearly wiped people out. And I was like, that's actually, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's actually cool. That explains why <laughs> they have this multi-planetary Holocaust machine for like harvesting human genes, because they need a lot of humans and a lot of human diversity. And that's cool. That's like a, that's good world building. Why is there good world building? <laughs> <sighs> Unfortunate. But if... Uh, we yeah. cut back to Jupiter now in her traditional young adult fiction black tank top and cargo pants. And her and Kane have the first... Ponytail too. Ponytail too. Very important. Her and Kane ponytail. have the first uh, intimate conversation about his past and uh, her future. And, you know, there's a lot of romantic tension. They're going to do this four or five times throughout the movie. So don't get too attached to this one scene. Uh, is this the one where they, with the I Love Dogs or is this that This is the I Love Dogs. So Jupiter, yes. who is openly hitting on <laughs> Kane at this point, uh, is like slowly, you know, closing in. She's like getting closer closing that kissing distance and he's sort of he like really so awkward about it and he's like i'm more dog than man and jupiter goes yeah, i like, love dogs <laughs> you know he's like i have more in common with a dog than i do with you and she's i love dogs i've always loved dogs and then he like kind of awkwardly excuses himself and then she goes i love dogs Ugh. which is like yeah at least yeah. she knows <laughs> at least she knows that that was a shit ass yep. pickup line <laughs> They arrive at the Hall of Titles, which is like a big kind of like nucleus for all of space law. 
this is another instance where all of the like moving parts and panels in the same color made it really hard to read what was a ship and what wasn't. I I'd have no idea yeah. what the spaceship looked like or the space station other Me than either. it's very large and confusing. Intergalactic advocate Bob comes here to help walk her through the bureaucracy of what is essentially the He's space a robot DMV. Man. He's a robot man. An articulate human face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He sort of just like, this is just the montage of them going to various different counters that are various different varieties of DMV. Yeah, the, the joke is that it's excruciatingly boring. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you laughing yet? It's so funny. <laughs> Don't worry, it goes on for an excruciating long amount of time as well, so we get the real feeling of it as we're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Advocate Bob bribes somebody and then everything goes smoothly from there, which is kind of funny, actually. <laughs> yep. Uh, eventually, she kind of gets all her stuff in order and she gets branded with this like glowing tattoo symbol that is her seal of authority over Earth or whatever. It's like a holographic stamp on her wrist like you'd get at a Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. Like, um, <laughs> and uh, the thing is, like, it's not even that subtle. Like, It only shows up in the light, but it's like she's going to go home and... You know, like, her aunt is going to be like, Mija, you got that tattoo? What are you doing? Mija's Spanish, I'm sorry. But you know what I mean. <laughs> it's got that vibe. Yeah. It's like, they're not going to not notice no. that she has this weird-ass, no, like, op- planet is she logo. Is going to wear, like, three-quarter sleeves the rest of her life? No. <laughs> no, it's, like, on her wrist. She's going to have to wear full-length <laughs> sleeves. Or, like, one of those, like, like thick-ass leather cuff bracelets. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so Jupiter Boy. and Kane then chat after she's officially entitled. She's very insistent that she's the same person as before, and they have their second sexual They've tension had, like, talk of the last two twenty conversations. minutes. Conversations. Yeah, they have. She's like the exact I'm not same different. <laughs> just because I'm like royalty now, and he's like, yeah, whatever your Majesty says, and it's just like. You don't know each other. <laughs> You've been hanging out for two days. How would he know if you're different that or not? Was... Also, there, <laughs> there's a kind of uncomfortable bit where he calls her your Majesty, and she's like say that again and it's like whoa jupiter keep it in your pants please that is a running bit in the movie the scene where they almost kiss but don't is a running theme in the movie and also biggest Mm -hmm. plot hole in the movie is that they met two days ago and they seem to be like fated to be together forever now it's it's a it's a classic like ya romance trope but also it's infuriating in this movie where they feel the need to explain every goddamn thing so they even explain that at some point i'm like come on just let us watch the movie (laughs) yeah it's it's unfortunate they've they've gone through like the romantic subplot motions but again like every beat in the romantic subplot has been so devoid of sub it's like Mm -hmm. oh the you're hurt here let me help you like there's nothing there and Mm -hmm. uh Oh, you mean he's got a tragic backstory? I never knew when I met him two hours ago. It's like, uh, and then, you know, the dramatic rescue. And it's not a rescue. She's not in danger. <laughs> they could have done that <laughs> for either of the other two ones where she was in danger. But the, uh, even those are kind of, we'll get there. <laughs> Speaking of getting there, uh, Stinger betrays yep. Kane and Jupiter and lets Titus's crew oh, yeah! take them back to his funky moaning ship. Uh, in my favorite way. In my favorite way, Kane says something like, I don't basically the, the gist of it is that he's not in love with Jupiter and Kane walks into the wide shot holding a gun saying looks like we're both liars <laughs> and just points this gun at him. It's my favorite traitor reveal. I want every traitor reveal to follow this format from now on. Yes. Stinger, uh, we know everything we need to know about him from his character introduction earlier and it he remains the most faithful to his characterization of I think pretty much anyone in the entire movie. He's and has yeah. a good time with it, which I, Sean Bean, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> he survives the movie, which is honestly, Shocking they were like, listen, Bean. it's kind of stupid. It's a space opera. You're playing a man who's genetically part B, but 
you lived through the movie. And he's like, sold. <laughs> I haven't survived to see the end credits in years. <laughs> Titus, who was wearing space diesel jeans, welcomes Jupiter to his ship. It, his, and his space t-shirt. He looks like a tech bro. It's And he kind of has the personality of one, too. So it's actually pretty good costume design in terms of establishing his character. I actually, I just kind of got the vibe that he's not used to wearing clothes, honestly. So he like <laughs> threw on some comfy sweats. <laughs> and I think that's good characterization because he doesn't wear clothes a lot of the time. Yeah, I wish they had done more to differentiate each of these siblings. Because Balin is clearly like the evil capitalist mastermind of some things. But yeah. Titus and uh, Kalik just sort of seem like rich people. Uh, and Titus has more yeah. of a like hedonistic overtone, but it's not super prevalent more so than Kalik's. And I, it, even just like if the visual design of each of their ships had been a little bit more different, I think that would have helped break up these set pieces because yeah. uh, Jupiter basically is once again kidnapped. But uh, this time it's, he agrees the to take her back to Earth. slightly higher. Uh, he yep. sort of have dinner with him. And then he's like, hey, I got to tell you some stuff. So while Kane gets held up in an underground cell of some kind on this spaceship uh, and they make Channing Tatum once again growl, which had a very similar energy as to when they um, made anyone in Cats make a cat noise. Uh, <laughs> oh, God damn it. I, stop. I nearly finished repressing that. <laughs> uh, Jupiter gets her second fancy dress of the movie and has dinner with Titus. And then he sort of. It's a very nice dress. Very uh, nice. It's got like a cool like slit up the side. Yeah, it's, it's a very good It's look in black and she's got this like kind of cool hair piece. Uh, this. It's very, again, very standard YA. Like, oh, the the every the, the plain heroine, she gets mm-hmm. put in this really nice gown, you know, for the for the dance with the bad guys. Like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sure, fine, sure, sure, whatever, whatever works. Stock trope. Go ahead. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, and he proposes. Yes, he proposes he, over dinner. He proposes. He's like, hey, uh, he so he takes her to a room full of the blue bars we saw earlier, and he talks about how his mother never trusted people and never trusted falling in love. Um, and he sort of wants her to think that his motive is different from his brother and sister. And he explains that like these glow sticks are made from human beings, and that Earth is basically one mm-hmm. of thousands of farms, which we sort of already know, but now we're getting explicitly told to us. Uh, and his yep. mother was and murdered. She's shocked. Yeah. And she drops the goop, and she she like wastes the goop, and he's like, "It's okay, it's okay. We've got like way more." <laughs> it's like, oh great, oh good. Right. Um, his... But honestly, I thought that was a good character moment. She's horrified because she just learned one container of goop is a hundred human mm-hmm. lives, and in shock, she drops it and splatters it on the ground, and she's like horrified. That's like probably the first like actual character moment where I was like, "That's ooh, yeah." I believe that she's actually really distraught right now <laughs> for so many reasons. This actually makes um, sense. Um, yeah. He sort of explains that his mother was murdered because she's tried to stop this cycle of the harvest. And now Titus is doing the same and he wants Jupiter to be his heir. But in order for that to happen, they have to get married. So he proposes to her and we have to assume that she accepts. Mm-hmm. Stinger is worried for Kane and asks the Aegis to kind of go into the area where Titus's ship is. And Kane, meanwhile, is getting tossed into the void, which is just their way of saying space. Yep. Because we learned that uh, <laughs> Titus is actually, uh, he's a he's a big liar, liar pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, big liar, He's lying man. and he... Yeah, and he's actually, like, planning to kill Jupiter after they're married, so he gets the Earth. And uh, this actually gets Kane to emotionally react to his credit. It's, like, probably the most extreme thing that they could have used to get him to emotionally react, but he does. <laughs> and then they throw him into space, but he, like managed to like I, like he kicks a suit uh, uh like a suite of emergency space suits mm-hmm. so a bunch of them get ejected with him and this is the part where i was like okay he's floating in space and he is kind of stuck but he has gravity boots they didn't take away his gravity <laughs> boots can't he use those to navigate in space yep 
Um, uh, but apparently not. They also do something with these suits because they sort of form on him like uh, as sort of like uh, Iron Man's like nano suit or like the space suits in Guardians of the Galaxy and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, where they sort yeah, of just like exactly. flow onto him. And they do it in this sort of like beehive pattern. And I kind of wish oh, that yeah. they had used that motif a bit more anywhere else in the movie because in, in terms of being a design choice, it was one of the only ones I really like thought was cool and fit yeah, thematically with neat. what the stuff they'd been talking about was and royalty and yada 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 but no everything just sort of looks like a shattered stained glass window with like neon lights on it so he's stuck in space because the, the ship portals away so he can't like get back to yep, it he's uh, got so he's just in space 37 minutes of air remaining meanwhile back in chicago vlad is getting yelled at by his family who think they're cursed because of the telescope that they find out that jupiter is looking for uh when suddenly the magic blue light enters their house and a bunch of lizard men who work for ballast bust in and nab the whole family Yep. Then we cut back to Kane, who now has no air left, but luckily at the last possible second, as he's having lots of dramatic, like, heat vision filtered flashbacks of Jupiter from, I assume, the last two days, uh, he gets pulled into yep. the <laughs> Aegis ship. Their whirlwind romance. <laughs> yes. He gets pulled into the Aegis ship, mumbling, he's gonna kill her, he's gonna kill her, so now we gotta, we gotta go do a rescue mission. And I was like, wow, stakes? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> Uh, it's like, oh, character stakes that are drawing these two closer together. Will this romance actually sell me on it before the final part of the well, movie? Well, you've only got two more dramatic rescue missions to decide that. So. Hell yeah. Uh, Jupiter's having some cold feet. She asked to speak to Kane, but he, she's told he went berserk and was handed to the authorities. Uh, and Jupiter reluctantly agrees to the wedding. So Kane goes and gets Splinter to help him out. And just the two of them start busting in. To Stinger. St- Stinger. Oh, my God. Why do I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm... Listen, everyone's name is ridiculous in this movie movie it's fine i know but at least his is thematically appropriate since he's got this whole bee thing going on yeah a bee thing that apparently the movie fails to adequately communicate to a first time viewer <laughs> splinter reveals that he betrayed kane in order to get medicine for his daughter who as we genre savvy viewers knew had some sort of mysterious space sickness that they just refer to as a bug it's not important he's <laughs> he says it, it's like something but it's like such a generic like oh she had the sickness or something like that he calls or, it a bug uh, which the- is kind of funny uh, since really? he's a big B that's guy. All? <laughs> God, still. that's stupid. But it's capitalized in the subtitle, so you know this is a big mm-hmm. deal. Like it was a space plague or something. Yep. So the next like twenty minutes of the movie are cross cutting between uh Splinter and Kane uh, fighting minutes? a swarm of like spaceships called uh, what are they? They had a name for them, but Warhammers. it's Warhammers. Then it's They're not really Warhammers. important. And it's the most visually incomprehensible shit yeah, I've ever it's seen. It's like a cloud of gray cubes, and then sometimes you see a like sharper-looking gray thing shooting its way through it. Uh, and that's cross-cut with the very over-the-top space wedding that Jupiter and Titus are in the middle of as she very slowly, in like a very over-the-top uh, Hunger Games-style yeah. wedding gown, is floated yep. on a platform. Second beautiful gown. Yep. Ridiculous headpiece. It looks very nice. It's very pretty. Kind of... Kind of like a uh, like if someone was designing a wedding dress based on like Amidala's outfits and prequels. She's got like a little like some of the makeup has some of that element. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. Yeah, um, it, her costumes yeah. in this movie are all you know pretty nice, especially the gowns and this things. This movie looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wedding is also <laughs> <Not> the, <makeup. laughs> the wedding is also attended by what uh, Titus refers to as Sims, which felt far too on the nose for a swarm of like. Wait, really? Yeah, he calls them Sims. <laughs> It's like a swarm oh of identical, God. I assume, clones of some kind. I didn't notice that. I thought it was just like CGI filling up the background. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> they have whatever. a name because this God, movie will let nothing go un- unexplained. 
The wedding is plays out almost exactly like an Earth wedding, except instead of getting a ring, you get a tattoo of a ring on your finger in the same way that she got the a seal earlier. Tattoo. Yep. Splinter's hit, but he... Or not Splinter. Uh, Stinger is hit, but he's okay. Yeah, Stinger. I, I uh, watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles recently. Uh, ah. <laughs> and so Where's as Jupiter is hesitating to give her vows, uh, she's kind of like forced to by Titus. Yada, yada. She's in the middle of getting... Because she, she hears like... She hears the fighting happening and she's like, what's going on? And Titus like drops the pretenses and grabs her hand and pushes it onto the thing where the ring will happen. Mm -hmm, And it's mm -hmm. like, ah, the facade is cracking. He's getting desperate. That's kind of good characterization, actually. Uh." Yep, yep, yep. And at the last possible second, Kane busts in through the ceiling uh, and sort of like dramatically lands on the platform and he puts a gun up to Titus's head. He's like, oh, did he finish the uh, seal or whatever, the ring? And she's like, no, and they're all uh, good to go. He's like, he was going to kill you after you got married or whatever. And Titus is like, oh, I don't think my my mother was ever so beautiful or so gullible. Because lest we forget, Jupiter is an exact genetic copy of their (laughs) biological mother. (laughs) Because holy shit. Um, And uh, K- there's actually kind of a sweet moment where Kane's got the gun to Titus's head and he's like, may I kill him? And Jupiter's like, just get me out of here. And I was like, I kind of I kind of like the dynamic they're developing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very like loyal bodyguard and love with the mark kind of thing. And I, I don't know. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's um, there. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's a nice all, boy. Yeah. He's very polite. <laughs> against all odds, they're kind of cute if you ignore the fact that they met again two days ago and the. It's like the whole first chunk of this movie is just a mess. But after you've been with them long enough, just because this movie goes on for so long, you kind of start just getting attached just because. Mm -hmm. Like the little bits of their character come through and you're like, all right, yeah, you know, I I like this part. I like this one part. (laughs) Um, Oh, and uh, she got a MacGuffin for them. She got like their, it's a little tablet that says hey you're allowed to be legionnaires again yeah uh, so uh because stinger and um kane are because they were kind of on the edge because of kane's whole biting the throat of balaam thing yeah. they can they can be uh space soldiers again officially i think they were they were trying to make it so that there's also a little bit of like tension in their budding romantic subplot if i dare call it that uh <laughs> where like uh, Titus is like, oh yeah, uh, you know, when I sent him to get you, I offered him his position in the Legion back. That's why he's been going after mm-hmm. you. So she's like, oh, it's not because he's deeply in love with me. It's because he just wants his old job back. Okay, I see how it is. So like now that he's developing feelings for her, I guess, uh, now she's like, no, actually, love is bullshit and I hate everything. Here's your whatever. We should part ways yeah. now. And it's like, calm down, Jesus. Like, you know, that's why he was initially hired, but he already backstabbed Titus like three times. <laughs> whatever yeah but th- that's the that's what they're going for here this is the this is supposed to be the second act darkest hour where it's like oh i, I wonder if they'll be able to make mm-hmm. this work when they haven't up to this point yeah they so. have their like third uh romantic tension subplot conversation uh i wrote it mm-hmm. <laughs> of the last two-thirds of the movie and you know they talk about that whole thing jupiter's very disillusioned with the whole being royalty thing and she just asked kane to take her home but unfortunately yep, when they arrive back in her house on earth uh, which she enters with all of the Aegis and Kane, so she would have been fully shocking her family had they been there into, like, hey, space, uh, <laughs> space has got a lot of people in it, <laughs> including this elephant man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. unfortunately, the only people waiting for them there are Mr. Knight and the Lizard Man, whose name I never got, but I assume is credited somewhere. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, remember. he's a big lizard man. It's pretty hard to miss him. 
Mr. Knight says yeah. that he's there with an offer from Balaam for Jupiter to come meet him and abdicate her title. Otherwise, her entire family will be killed. And everyone around her's like, no, like, you can't stakes? go. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, you can't go. If you go and abdicate, like Earth is going to be like destroyed, which seems like a weird thing for people who have been living in the space society to care about. But, you know, whatever. It's nice that they're on her side. Well, I guess the thing is, like, they're not the space aristocrats. True. So they're not like super into the goop harvesting or whatever. You'd think that the they maybe would have done something about this like planetary genocide machine that is just used as currency and I guess they're just tacitly supporting because it's also how they like do medicine mm-hmm. and stuff because it, it's a little thing but a uh, stinger mentions like oh you know when Katie got or K- Katie whatever what her, whatever her name Kiza. is when my uh Kiza when my daughter got the bug we couldn't afford the Regenex which is like okay so everyone uses this stuff and it's made from people and I guess this is common knowledge maybe i don't know it's very odd they don't really there's got to be coherent world building here because they obsessively world built everything else out mm-hmm. but they spend even so the much good time guys in this movie they spend so much time on yeah. establishing that the goop is people that they don't really spend any time establishing what the goop is used for beyond being young forever it, it yeah i kind of wish they didn't I don't want them to do anything more in this movie because there's already so much <laughs> happening, but I wish they had substituted yeah. this for maybe, like, I don't know, Channing Tatum being half albino. Could we just, like, skip that part? Yeah. <laughs> skip over that and be like, yeah, we use Regen X for everything. We don't like where it comes from, or we don't know where it comes from. Just, like, a, yeah. a one-liner or something exactly. like that. But, a um, horrified reaction of the Aegis when they invade the factory later on or something like that, you know? But, yeah, I guess they're just like, listen, uh, Earth isn't... No, wait, doesn't Cain explain to her, like, when the planet over... When it gets populated beyond yeah, no, a certain Kane, point, it gets Kane harvested? Cain knows what's up, because when they first introduce each other, that's where he says harvesting, which is our key word that something right. bad is happening, because he's like, oh, when it gets so, reaches like, maximum population, it gets harvested. So everyone knows this mm-hmm. is happening and is just cool with it? That's... Mm, I don't know. I feel like maybe they should have addressed that yeah. directly. <laughs> yeah, they're like, Earth will be destroyed. Uh, so it's like... Oh no, but he's got my family. Yep, so, you so know, Jupiter this, agrees to hostage go for world. with him and the Aegis yep. follow behind her and they go to his super secret factory base, which is also, of course, on the planet Jupiter, which is not explicitly told to us because again, there's no Chirons in this movie and no one says so, but they have to go through the eye of a red storm. So you can only assume that based on my understanding of the solar system. The- <laughs> no, yeah, it's very clearly Jupiter. It's It's the great red spot. It's very obviously Jupiter. I didn't even realize they didn't state that overtly, but yeah. Yep. So they go to Jupiter with Jupiter and they follow, uh, that's so confusing. They follow Jupiter to Jupiter yeah. uh, where she's meeting with Balaam. They enter through this like gate that they open in the vortex of the eye of the storm, but they close it so that the, the ages spot. can't get through the red spot. And we, we get to have finally some more screen time with our drama queen, Eddie Redmayne. And by that, of course, I mean Balaam. I gotta say from this point onward, I kind of like the movie. <laughs> I was like, like, no lie. (laughs) I was very tired of the movie at this point, but this is the most enjoyable of the three uh, damseled plot lines. So, you know. I won't say it's good, but I had a much better time with it. Uh, Because the stakes are actually like, and it it jumps like crazy because it goes from like, let's hang out and talk about goop to like, ah, now you must marry me, but I won't be all that upset if you leave. I'll just go and have like a space orgy to clear my head to suddenly like, I've got your entire family and I'm going to turn them into goop unless you (laughs) sign over the rights to your planet, at which point I will immediately destroy it. It's like, whoa, wow, this took a jump. Yep. Balaam kind of like waxes poetic about his mother and how she knew what was necessary to rule the universe. And his voice breaks every time he yells, but most importantly, when he yells, I create life! 
Uh, and then he goes, and I destroy it. Yeah, and he likes his poetic about how life is an act of consumption, yada, yada, yada. Capitalism, it bad. Great to know. Um, yeah, yeah. Ca- space capitalism, bad. Not the worst message for this movie to have. No, a confusing <laughs> one for it to switch to now, but I guess we're going with it. Uh, I mean, it was kind of always about, like, the goop is people, and the goop is also money, so people are money. If we harvest people, it's like, all right, yeah, yep, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of got overshadowed Humans by the four the or five romantic night. tension-filled scenes between Jupiter and Kane, but presumably yeah, that's happening. they could have doubled down on the message. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh. Balaam's like, I love my mother, but then Jupiter, in a moment of clarity, is like, well, then why kill me? And she accuses... Is that why you killed her? Yep. Uh. She's like, oh, you killed your mother, which context clues tell us is probably right, because the other two suspects in this case are pretty solidly just kind of like assholes rather than anything else. Yeah. And he slaps her and says, how dare you? <laughs> and it's like so well delivered. <laughs> oh, Eddie was having a blast like, in this role. <laughs> I was like, was he supposed to have an accent this whole time? <laughs> Who cares? So good. Um, yeah. But it's like, okay, so she's right on the money. She touched a nerve. Uh, oh, yeah. Honestly, he's the only villain in this movie that I actually felt mildly threatened by. I was like, okay, you know what? This guy's at least kind of unhinged. And like, yeah. I... I, it's hard to predict what he's gonna do next, whereas, mm-hmm. like, Kalik is just like, let's hang out and talk about girl stuff, and then, you know, Titus is like, oh, yes, I'm a skeezy liar boy, but I'm also very pretty, so, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of the, I'm that type. Yes. Uh, and then in this case, it's like, no, this, you genuinely think that this guy's just gonna straight up ice her and her family, and it's like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, meanwhile, on the other side of the Eye of Jupiter, uh, Kane is, like, uh, staring really angstily down into the red spot, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I say that because uh, this is I love this some thing. of the most angsty staring he does in the entire movie. And uh, Stinger walks. Yeah, he's up. got an expression and everything. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Stinger's like, "You got it. You're you're mad because you know you finally found the thing you've been searching for your whole life, and she's down there, and you can't get her." And he's like, "All right, yeah, I'm gonna." So Kane's like, "Yeah, okay, fine. I'll I'll go fly solo into the eye of this uh, storm it's, and bust my way actually, down." It's it's better than that because Stinger walks up and says, I know you can't say this, so I'll say it for you. <laughs> and it's like, guys, that's not how you do characterization. You could have just as easily communicated this without Stinger showing up. You could have just had him staring into the eye, getting progressively grumpier looking, and then turning on his heel and storming off. You didn't need Stinger to tell us that he was going to go rescue her. Mm-hmm. We could have assumed. Based on the other two rescue missions he's already gone on in this movie, we can only assume what his course of action will be this time. Yeah, and it's not like he likes her less. It's it, She's the one who's a little disillusioned in their budding romantic subplot. He mm-hmm. still cares about her as much as he did before. So, yep. But I, I guess the thing is, now that he has the Legionnaire thing again, maybe maybe they're like, maybe the audience won't believe that he'll rescue her. It's like, are you kidding me? Of course he's going <laughs> to rescue her. What else would you do? <laughs> God, yeah. Kane is now initiating the beginning of our third sequence in which we are cross-cutting between Kane rushing towards where Jupiter is and Jupiter in immediate danger. This time, the danger is of her finally giving up her seal and abdicating so that Balaam would then own Earth again. In a moment of genuine intelligence and clarity that I was so glad yeah. they had her do, Jupiter... I like this bit. Yeah. Seconds before sealing her abdication, asks how long until Balaam will harvest Earth. Uh, and she realizes that 
you know, even if he waits until after her lifetime, that she's just damning the families that will still be alive, people that will be alive then. And so she says that she can't seal the thing, even if he's going to kill her and her family, because even if he kills her, he'll never be able to get Earth. Uh, And so she's playing a sacrifice play to save humanity as a whole, rather than her immediate family and herself, which I thought was incredibly... I thought that was... Yeah, Yeah, right? Like, that was really cool, because it's like... Like, we totally buy that she would absolutely sacrifice, you know, everything to save her family because she's like, oh, you know, they're a bit abrasive, but she does love them. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, how many times do you see the hero with the hostage and the hero doesn't do the thing that would save the hostage? Like, it's, I I was kind of blindsided. I was like, wait, she actually made a choice that's not tropey yeah. and intelligent and deeply moving in a lot of ways? Because like what she says is like, you know, uh, I'm I'm going to make sure that whatever you do to me and my family, you can't do to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's honestly, that's really heroic. And that from that point on, I was like, wow, I think this movie might be good, actually. <laughs> not 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 in whole. Don't quote me on that. The movie overall is very <laughs> bad. The cold open for this one- podcast, which is raves, no! red, <laughs> sarcastic production. Jupiter Ascending is good, actually. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> God, this is the I think Coolsville sucks of this show, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But no, it's it's just it's like I think the last fifteen minutes of the movie are honestly quite solid, uh, yeah. just in terms of characterization. Jupiter gets to do just surprising cool stuff. She has agency for the first time in the movie. It's quite exciting. Uh, there's I there are a couple parts of this next bit that I really like. <laughs> they, they made me bust out laughing. We'll get to them as they're having this kind of conversation and of course you know eddie redmayne undercuts the dramatic moment of sacrifice that jupiter is making by whispering (laughs) this is not a game yeah a large explosion is heard and knight starts talking about how the grab hall is ruptured or some some techno babble and suddenly the factory is uh going kaput as kane busts in turn around (laughs) at the giant window and everything is exploding and it's like i feel like they maybe would have noticed before the guy ran in and told them to turn around (laughs) Mm mm-hmm uh, Kane busting in on his figure skating combat skills on the floor underneath. So the way that they have the family on display is through like two-way glass uh, through the floor that Jupiter and Balaam are standing on. And Kane is down there fighting like Lizard Man and freeing up the family from the different devices. They're all like unconscious or yeah, something. Yeah, so they're they, all they don't in space know what's going stasis on. of some sort. Spaces, you could say. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, Kane like knocks Balaam out for a second and uh, manages to bring Jupiter down to the lower level, and he tells her to start moving her family out as he fights some reptiles. Balaam grabs a stick. Uh, Is this the part where she kicks him in the balls? I think this might be the part where she kicks him in the balls. This is the first time (laughs) that she she kicks him in the balls. I think Balaam like goes to attack her, and she just straight up like knees him in the balls, and he crumples, and I was like, That's good self-defense, ladies. That's a... This foppish space prince can't fight? Who knew? Incredible. Uh, this is the point I, in the movie. That, that was the part where I was like, oh my God. So funny. That was very funny. And then immediately after that, uh, Jupiter and uh, Kane take the opportunity in the middle of this laser fight to make out a little bit in case they don't get a chance to oh, later. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of yeah, split up. Kane locked in combat with la- uh, Lizard Man and uh, guy, Jupiter yeah. unloading her family um, from the devices. The uh, red spot opens up the the like misto techno gate inside of it and the ages are able to head into the factory they manage to beam kane and the family on board but they don't have a lock on jupiter jupiter and balaam meanwhile are fighting jupiter shoots him in the balls making that the second time that she hits no, him in the balls in the <laughs> she shoots him in the leg she she just shoots him in the it's leg in, and it's that's ambiguous <laughs> 
No, no, no. It's in the shin because she like she when they're fighting later, she like kind of digs her thumb into it to like mm. get him off her. Uh, and uh, my favorite part of that is she's pointing the gun at his head and he says like, you're just like her. You won't pull the trigger. And without breaking eye contact, she points the gun down and shoots him in the leg. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's so funny. I love this Jupiter. I wish we'd had her for the rest of the movie. Right. <sighs> Unfortunate. As uh, she and Balaam are fighting, a like crazy air blue traction tunnel opens up and Balaam and Jupiter get pulled inside and Kane tries to give chase, but the lizard man uh, pulls him back for their dramatic combat since Kane has to do some sort of crazy difficult combat in this fight. And I guess the lizard man sidekick is the designated difficult enemy for him yeah. since Balaam is kind of occupied with Jupiter. And Balaam would not be a hard fight. No. We've already established that. <laughs> Every time he he's always like, I'm going to rely on the fact that my mother couldn't f- kill me when I killed her or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, all right. Uh, I think Kane will just probably rip your throat out again yep. <laughs> for real this time. Yep, uh, yep, yep. Uh, like every kind of action set piece in this movie, this whole sequence goes on for far too long. But basically, the gist of the next like couple minutes is Lizard Man and Kane locked in very deadly combat. They like bite each other at one point, but Kane yep. does eventually emerge victorious by using one of his portals to like trap Lizard Man by the neck, which was very, very brutal. I think it straight up killed him. Yeah, yeah I, I think is the implication. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like one but, step short and, and- of beheading. Yeah, I was expecting it to have beheaded him, but the body's just hanging there, so I don't know. And uh, I think Jupiter and Balaam are basically just scrambling through the explodey parts of the giant explosion. Yeah, they're in, like, the traction tunnel across from each other for a while, and Jupiter sort of ditches Balaam for a hot sec, and then they're all out. They're they're around what I assume is the exterior of the factory and all sorts of, like, platforms and things that are all exploding and falling in various degrees. Uh, And it looks like it's very visually busy. Yeah, it's it's one of those sci-fi pits to nowhere, except it's, you know, I guess the nowhere in this situation is the whatever in the Jupiter, middle of Jupiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, more gas until eventually you get compressed into a core of diamond. So yes. it would be a very long and unfortunate fall. Uh, yep. It's not really clear how they're breathing, but... Nope. Uh, We're not going to worry yeah. about that because breathing rules in this movie are flexible, to put it kindly. <laughs> yeah, as we've established. <laughs> um, the eight, Kane is about to go back off the Aegis ship to get Jupiter, and he says, you know, save me every second that you can, because as everything is collapsing, they need to warp out of there so that the ship doesn't get destroyed also. Balaam tries to beat up Jupiter with a metal pipe, but it doesn't work, yada yada yada, the factory is collapsing. Eventually, Balaam falls to his thematic end at the place where his creations and wealth were all centered, uh, and as Jupiter- Oh, he, he keeps- he keeps rambling about when he was fighting his mom. He's like, is this familiar mother? Uh, and her last words to him are like, I'm not your fucking mother or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, she does curse, right? Yes. I, I seem to remember that. Yes. Right. Uh, so they get their one F-bomb and it's like, oh, what a one-liner. I mean, you really got him with that one. Yep. Um, and he's like, he's it, there's clearly something there because he's like yelling about like, oh, you begged me to do it. You begged me to do it. And then she says, I'm not your fucking mother. And then he falls to his death. Uh, and then she falls to her getting caught by sexy dog man. Yes. In uh, and the exact way that I have uh, my, it in my notes is Jupiter goes over the edge too, but her totally not a werewolf boyfriend swoops in and gets her in a spacesuit. Uh, <laughs> yep, accurate. It's like, so wait, did she need a spacesuit this whole time? Was she fighting in like a pure methane and carbon dioxide atmosphere this whole time? I guess it's unclear. And maybe, maybe it's like there's air around the base, but like when she started falling into the whatever, I don't mm-hmm. know. They don't really explain it, but it's like, okay, context clues implies she could breathe there, she couldn't breathe here, so the spacesuit is necessary, I yep. guess. Uh, the Aegis begin leaving and Jupiter and Kane are kind of like going as quickly as they can to get back to their ship, but not before they take a moment to kind of like pause and sit on a ledge for uh, what I thought was far too long for a actively being destroyed planet <laughs> since Kane is just going to be carrying her at this point. So 
Why would you do- just just keep carrying her? Just keep going. You have seconds. Yeah, just go, dude. Just go. <laughs> um, the Aegis portal away. Did Kane and Jupiter make it? Did they get left behind on Jupiter? Yeah, obviously they made it. Everyone cheers, and Jupiter yeah. and Kane get like to enjoy the view of Earth they're, for a bit as they get pulled back onto the ship. It's a very odd bit of like fake tension because they're like, "Oh, is everyone okay? Okay, we're through." And then they're like, "Miss, I don't know how it's happening, but I'm picking up Kane's ping." And it's like, "Oh, almost like you opened a portal while they were skating towards you." Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, and they're like, "Oh, you know, you might want to open a window for us or something." And I was like, "That's kind of funny and cheeky, but you're really playing this like it was a dramatic million to one thing where it's like." We knew they could catch up to the portal. I didn't realize the tension was supposed to be getting them inside before you portaled. Yeah. You haven't implied that that's necessary. So I just kind of assumed they would skate through the portal and be fine. Because they, I think they even show us that they reach the like space warping part where the portal is like kind of distorting everything. Yeah, they're like sort water. of in like the ambiguously really brightly colored part of the portal where it's like, is this just white light or are you actually in the portal? It's hard to tell. Yeah, I, I guess that's, it, it's a little bit vague, but it's not vague enough for me to be like, oh no, did they make it? Because of course they made yeah. it. Are you kidding me? Come on, yeah. man. The movie's called Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> it's not called Jupiter Dies in the end. That would be a very <laughs> different movie. Um, uh, but we hard cut to 4.45 a.m., the iconic time from the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but this baby. time when uh, her aunt and mom yell at Jupiter to wake up and start making coffee, she's already awake and she's already made coffee and breakfast. She's got like this new zest for life. She's doing the same stuff she was before, cleaning. She does her work. But this time she's still got the seal on her arm, proving that she owns Earth. So it wasn't all just a dream. Mm. Uh, at dinner, the family gives Jupiter the telescope she was looking at before, and she dramatically announces that she has a date, which they're all very excited about. Uh, and we go to the rooftop where her date is, of course, our boy, Wolfman Kane, who is sitting on the roof talking about how, you know, she's not going to tell anyone she owns the Earth just yet. They have their fourth and final dramatic romantic tension conversation. Um, and then yep. Kane reveals that he has his wings back now, I guess. He takes off his coat and they, like, like telescope out a little bit yep <laughs> like the, the the pinions like extend out of it because like they couldn't fit them under the coat if they were full-sized because they are massive mm -hmm. so they, they like come out looking kind of small and stupid and then they just sort of get more feathers as they unfold and like it's like it's almost like they hoped we wouldn't notice <laughs> um <laughs> so he's got his wings back so she gets the rocket boots instead yep uh, they have a, he uses her his wings to give her a hug and they make out a bit again and then Jupiter uses the ice skating boots for them to go fly around over the city of Chicago and then we roll credits. I half expected it to do like a like a Harry Potter four style freeze frame when she swoops into the camera in the end. <laughs> um, oh, that would have been incredible, but no. I yeah missed opportunity really, but uh, yeah that's yeah so Jupiter that's how the movie ascending. ends. I I didn't stay for an after credit scene, did you? No, no. I got okay. as far as seeing that the Wachowskis directed this and Michael Giacchino scored this and then went and had a little existential crisis about how my favorite <laughs> director-composer duo, the creators of an iconic film that has defined almost my entire life, I am, of course, talking about the live-action Speed, Speed Racer, Racer. Uh, could yeah, create yeah, yeah, a movie that caused me so much uh, physical and emotional pain. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very odd movie. Like... On paper, and when you describe it, it sounds exciting. And then when you look at it, it looks exciting. It's, I think it's gotta be the dialogue and maybe like the directing. Um, there's a lot of like weird little visual choices that make it harder to take seriously, mm -hmm. but I think those wouldn't have been deal breakers if the dialogue wasn't so utilitarian and weird. Oh man, there's, um, there's like a little, a few little bits, like when Jupiter and Balem are facing off and she's like begging him not to kill her family, but like she's saying it like, 
please, I beg of you. And it's like, I, she's like a normal, like Midwestern gal, right? What? Why is she talking like that? Um, I don't know. A lot of very odd dialogue they had to try and deliver convincingly. She definitely suffers from a writing problem. I, I, again, I, I have done a little, re- little research into the development process for this movie because I assumed watching it that it was based off of some existing intellectual property, but actually it's an original mm. development. And again, they intended it yeah. to be a franchise, which kind of contextualizes why there is so much exposition that isn't necessarily relevant to the immediate plot of the movie. Uh, but I think... And some hanging threads. And some hanging like, threads. They, they're like, oh, it's a happy ending. And I was like, you're just letting the other two Abrasic kids do their planetary genocide machine capitalism thing? You're just, like, cool with that? I mm, I feel like that's morally very bad. Mm-hmm. And if they'd expressed something like, oh, you know, we should probably deal with that. You know, there's a lot of other planets just like Earth that could be in danger any day now. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a big job. Well, I'm queen of the Earth. Maybe we can... Like, if they'd set that up, for a sequel, I would have bought it. But instead they end with just like a little Kodak moment, romantic, happy ending thing. Mm. And it's like, she's back cleaning toilets, but she's happy and fulfilled now. It's like, I feel like as queen of space, now you have some responsibilities, right? Like, you know, yeah. saving people? Galaxy full of humans being harvested for goop? I don't know. Uh, so if they'd explored that in sequels, I think that could have been good even. And if they'd set up that, hey, this is a hanging thread. We're not overlooking the moral dubiousness of all of this. We're, we'll deal with it later. We're two hours in. We can't do it now. I would have bought that too. It feels weird that they didn't, knowing that they were trying to set up more stuff. It also sort of touches on what I think is another fundamental flaw of this movie is, is pacing. Uh, there's a lot of redundant <laughs> information and set pieces. There's a lot of very drawn out action set pieces that aren't really serving the plot. They're just padding the runtime and as you mentioned it's a two hour long movie uh so i think editorially there's a lot lacking here that's just kind of exaggerating how lackluster the dialogue is because we're neither getting shown uh in an interesting way what is relevant and we're not being told in an interesting way what is relevant and so it is a failure on both show and tell and when you put both of those together in a movie it makes for a very boring two hours and what is ostensibly had the potential to be a fun sci-fi action movie with some romantic b-plots you know this had the potential to be a a fun kind of like female gaze led sci-fi action movie (laughs) and instead it is incredibly mediocre yeah i i think part of the problem with that is definitely they really felt the need to explain everything Mm -hmm. and i understand why they were throwing a lot at the audience i don't know how well this would have worked if they cut out some of the exposition but as a result so much of the dialogue is utilitarian and and just purely quote-unquote functional and when when i describe dialogue as functional that's not a compliment that's that's basically how i say that this dialogue is there to serve a function Mm -hmm. um which means the characters get almost no time to show off their their character they're basically there to explain things or ask questions and that's jupiter's main role for the first half two-thirds of the movie is to ask questions so that the other characters can explain things to her because she's you know the resident fish out of water but what that means is that we get almost no feel for her until the very end where she's like in this incredibly high stakes, like dangerous situation where she's surprising us at every turn because in there, she does have a very interesting, like heroic core set of motivations. She's like, no, you know, I have to, you know, if I'm responsible for the planet, I have to protect it. We got no hints of this earlier because there was no time. Mm-hmm. She's the only characterization we have for her is her seeming disillusioned with her life and kind of tired. And that doesn't really establish those traits that we would expect to see. There was, there's a way to reframe that opening <sighs> sequence where, you know, she's 
tired with the cleaning aspect of her job and she's unhappy and she's envious of the the wealthy clients that she has but she's still like supporting her mother and her aunt and that would kind of set her up to be in that um more nurturing or more heroic uh role that she has at the end of the movie but it's it's not really set up anywhere and so the last third of the movie has to do a lot of legwork if we were rewriting this i think just not having the first two siblings damsel plot lines be a thing was I don't know. I mean, how much more powerful would it have been if, like, she, like, they go straight to the Aegis or mm-hmm. something, and then Kalik just, like, shows up and is like, oh, I just had to see for myself. Oh, it's true. You really are just like, mm-hmm. like, if she's not, like, abducting her into her, like, salacious palace or whatever, it would have been cooler because it's just like, wait, I thought she was one of the bad guys. And it's just like, no, it's actually more complicated than that. We do harvest humans for goop and I've got to go, you know, touch myself up later. But yeah, I just really wanted to tell you some stuff, you know, because it's a big, complicated universe and you're in for a ride. But, you know, I, I we weren't very close with my mother, but I wanted to be closer with you. And and they could have exposited so much in so little time without having to do that weird little stock romantic subplot thingy of the, the dramatic rescue that isn't a rescue. Um mm-hmm. And if they wanted to do the big money shot wedding, they could have done that too. I mean, you know, they clearly don't want to cut that. They spent so much time on it. But like, I don't know. Even cutting one out of two would probably incredibly improve the pacing. Oh, for uh, sure. Because it's really just walking around in pretty dresses and explaining the entire plot in a Q&A format. And oh, man. And there's no time for Jupiter to show her character until the very end of that where she's like on the Aegis and they're like... Well, haha, clothes. Let me put them on my body this time. You know, it's I don't know. The pacing's weird. They really felt the need to explain everything. Um, when I really think we would have accepted a lot of this stuff at face value, mm-hmm. to be completely frank. I don't think we needed to know about, you know, all of the intricacies of the the how the humans receded on Earth and the whole killing the dinosaurs thing or whatever and yeah, oh, it's, there's know. a lot of uh, unnecessary exposition. I think what they really needed at the end of the day was um, an additional editor, both at the script stage and also in the post room, oh, yeah. because I think both of those Definitely. places are the key locations where something went wrong, although they are not the only location where something went wrong. Uh, but Red, <laughs> we are coming up on time for this podcast as we have oh my god, we have <laughs> we really are. traveled the whole solar system in search of meaning in this goddamn movie. So Red, uh, kind of just to wrap up here, do you have any closing thoughts about Jupiter Ascending? I always ask if people would watch this again, uh, if they would mm. recommend this in any situation. So what? how do you feel <laughs> Jupiter Ascending is best viewed or should it not be viewed? I think that, I think Jupiter Ascending has merit possibly as like a, like a group popcorn watching movie mm-hmm. where you're just like crashing on somebody's couch and you're all talking over it and yelling at stuff. You know, I, I don't think you really lose anything in this movie by talking over huge swaths of it. Like you might be mildly confused by certain things, but you can really get a lot from the visuals. Like again, most of the exposition's kind of unnecessary. It's like, oh, everybody wants the goop, but the goop is made from people. It's like, okay, yeah, from the creators of the Matrix, I never would have guessed that there was nefariousness in the goop extraction process. <laughs> I don't know if I'd recommend it. Like, I've watched it twice now because I did a bad movie live tweet, which is how I knew to do this. And of course, I watched it yesterday for this. And I I think, I, I think I'm good, honestly. Mm. I think I'm good on watching Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's honestly fascinating because with a lot of bad movies, you can really see the seams. And I, I think bad movies are fascinating. I watch a lot of them because 
With a bad movie, you can really see how it's put together. With a good movie, often you can't. Mm -hmm. uh, it just works so well, it's hard to see why. But with a bad movie, you can see the things that, like, almost work, or the things that would have worked if they were done a little bit differently. And that's good. That gets the creativity flowing. Um, and I think with Jupiter Ascending, like, it's beautiful. It's beautifully scored. The costume design is incredible. They have a lot of really good actors in this. Mm -hmm. um, well, like, they have at least two. Uh, <laughs> probably more. Uh, um, and somehow, it just doesn't hold together. And I, I think, you know, it really does show like you can have all the money in the world and the backing of a huge studio that really wants you to succeed because they need a franchise. And if your script is like mediocre or just too utilitarian and expositional, you're never going to sell us on the characters. Like this movie's at its best once it gets all the exposition out of the way and lets the plot actually have stakes and characterization. And I think that really just shows like you know, getting your audience to understand what's happening is important, but I think it's not as important as getting them to care about the characters involved. And I, I think that's just, you know, that's my personal biases here. But I think this movie really does help confirm <laughs> that, I'm you know, there's at least some grounding for my stance here. You know, like, I, I think we'd buy a lot of this movie, even if we didn't know what was going on, if we cared about Jupiter and Kane mm -hmm. and them being OK and getting together. Um, I don't know, man. It's I... I think it works as a popcorn movie uh, where you're the whole point is to give it the MST3K treatment. And I think it works if you are really curious about why some movies are bad. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I'd recommend it as just like, man, I really want to watch a movie that makes me feel things. <laughs> yeah. Because this movie will mostly make you feel bored. Yeah. This and isn't then even really like a fun sci-fi movie to watch alone. Like there are some no. mediocre sci-fi movies that can still kind of be neat to watch. I feel like this movie is almost best summed up by the FAQs page of its IMDb, of which there are only oh. two entries. One, does <gasps> Sean Bean survive to the end? And the other <laughs> is, if Kane Wise is supposed to be half wolf, then why would he have bird wings? And if you've managed to sit through this whole movie, those really are the only questions that needed to be answered. <laughs> they really don't explain why bird wings, do they? Nope. I, it was something like the best. Well, they they do say that they're like prosthetics. They're or like something, they're like mechanical they imply, attachments of some kind. But then they imply that they got like like cut off him because he's got like scarring and like metal ports, and they say he was like clipped and snipped or something like that, which I don't think it means what they think it means. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 I feel know. like I feel like these questions are kind of what sums up the movie because as much as it does do a lot of expositional work. Um, and it's incredibly boring to slog through. It also leaves so much mm. unanswered that would be the interesting points, or it adds so much exposition that it then fuzzes the radar and makes the information you're being given confusing. And so at the end of the day, as much as it is visually very pretty and it sounds nice if you ignore all the 80-yard lines and also Eddie Redmayne yelling, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it just kind of falls apart on telling its story as a whole. And so like you said, it, it can be fun to make fun of or if you're very genuinely interested in seeing a movie where all of the seams are out and exposed, I, I can't recommend this movie in good faith if you are looking yeah. for a good time. I also feel like, like one of those four romantic scenes could have been just flip. Mm -hmm. Just let Kane talk about himself for a change. 
all we get from him is like other people talking about him and his backstory. I mean, the bit where Sean Bean's like, you can't say this, so I'll say it for you, is like the most <laughs> on-the-nose representation of every problem they have writing his character. It's all external. We never get into his head. We never even hear how he feels about things. And like, just one bit where like, he's being all formal in your majesty and like, she's like, okay, you know, you don't need to do that with me. Just like, sit down, let's just talk. And like, maybe we get something about how he feels about his backstory, how he feels about when he attacked the the guy or whatever. Um, Cause that kind of just gets glossed over. It's like, oh, it's instinct. But then it's not because she's literally like, I'm entitled now. Do you feel the urge to bite me? And he's like, no, well, maybe a little, like, I guess in the, like a sexy way is the implication. Uh, and it's just, so it, it's like, okay, so that whole thing about you being genetically predisposed to murder royalty was just BS. So like, how do you feel about that? How does it make you feel that this reason for your discharge was totally hokey? None of that. We don't ever get any of that. It's much more important that we learn how the space DMV works than we get anything about the complex inner world of one of our two main mm -hmm. protagonists. I think... <laughs> I just think so much time could have been spent making him just a little bit more interesting. I think this movie is a great abject lesson in the importance of balancing establishing your character and establishing your world building because they yep. tip the scale very heavily towards world building and it does not pay off at any point because they do not spend enough time on the characters, which are ultimately what's driving the story of this particular movie. Yeah. Yeah, the plot is entirely character-driven. It's all these complex personal motivations interconnecting with each other. But they're so focused on getting us to understand the world that we don't get a chance to appreciate any of that. Like, the the end where Balam is, like, yelling his personal motivation and Jupiter's just, like, cutting him off like, no, man, this isn't important. It's like, what a perfect microcosm of how this movie has worked <laughs> up till now. It's like, no, no, shh, 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 sh I don't care about the thing with your mom. I don't care about why you killed her. This isn't a murder mystery, even though we set one up. <laughs> this is about how exactly this space mining facility works. And what's up with those lizard guys? Did the dinosaurs all have wings? What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think on that microcosm, we should wrap it up. But that is definitely a good oh, parting yeah, thought. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Red, thank you so yeah. much for joining me. It's been a delight having you uh, here on this, my <laughs> podcast, because I spent a lot of time over on your podcast. So if you want to yeah, give, it's only give, fair. The, give the listeners at home an idea of who you are and where, where they could find you if they want a little bit more of these uh, bad movie nights. Right, yeah. So uh, mostly what I do is 50% uh, of the uh, YouTube channel over the Sarcastic Productions we mentioned at the beginning. We uh, we also work with Indigo slash Sophia Hello. here to uh, do the Overly Sarcastic podcast uh, at her uh, request slash insistence. And it's worked out great so far. It's very fun. <laughs> uh, so that's somewhere on the podcast store, podcast place, podcast library. Um, so yeah, we got a YouTube channel. We also have a Twitter. Uh, I semi-regularly do bad movie nights on Twitter where I go through and live tweet a bad movie, usually chosen by committee, although recently I watched both Maleficent live-action movies back-to-back. Mm. Nobody asked me to do that. I was just really <laughs> curious. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those are fun. I've got somewhere back there, I've got a bad movie live tweet of my first experience watching Jupiter Ascending, which was... I haven't revisited it. It's probably pretty weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's that's where you can find me uh, for the most part. Yeah, and we'll we'll link all that information yeah. in the show notes below. So if you want to find Red and check out Overly Sarcastic Productions, which I highly recommend, uh, you can do so through Aww. those. But that is uh, that brings us to the end of 
Oh my! Yeah. I am. My brain <laughs> has two been, and a half hour long. Video <laughs> my brain has episode. been fried by the uh, attempts to wrap my head around whatever the heck was happening on screen at any given moment. Uh, that brings us to the oh, end of the I'm podcast. Delighted. Thank you guys so much for joining <laughs> us, and we'll be back in two weeks with another entry into the ongoing existential crisis that I have chosen for myself. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on track on June 20th watching Speed Racer, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns before then, feel free to email the show at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. Links to where you can hear more from Red and the rest of Overly Sarcastic Productions can be found in the show notes below, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go practice my aerial ice skating.